Wrestling Geeks Everyone out there in Geek Vibes Nation, this is your pal Dane Alves with another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a weekly show where me and my co-host Christopher Brother Ray Patton break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and review all the shows for you. So uh, yeah, uh, today we're going to be doing our, you know, our, our results on the Wednesday Night Wars, uh, which I think is probably me and Chris's favorite uh, time to go over wrestling. But, um, yeah, uh, two great shows last night. I'm going to keep on checking uh, results to see if the ratings come in. Uh, it was supposed to get up this morning, still hasn't. So uh, I'll probably check while I'm introducing this guy right here, my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How you doing, sir? Doing good, man. It's a little bit of a long week. It's uh, pouring like piss out of a bucket, so to speak, outside. So hopefully we don't have any uh, weather problems. But uh, outside of that, man, last night was a... Very good time to be a wrestling fan. There was a lot of good shit that happened on uh, both shows, so I'm excited to talk about it. And, uh, how how was your week, Ben Dane? It's been good, man. You know, not too bad over at the warehouse, uh, working and uh, playing music. And uh, I saw I saw that Alton John biopic or biopic. I forgot what the hell it's called, really. Uh, Rocket Man, so I enjoyed that. I've been listening to a lot of Billy Joel and uh, Elton John this last week. Yeah, I saw you were on a, a little bit of a, a Elton John, Billy Joel kick on Facebook <laughs> this week. Uh, man, there is a great documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called Hired Guns, where it's really eye-opening about Billy Joel being kind of an asshole to what was his long-term band as just being hired musicians, with the exception of the drummer. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. It, it goes into all sorts of musicians, like people that have played with Al, uh, Alice Cooper and Kiss, and it just kind of goes into people that are just studio musicians. So if you're into that kind of thing, uh, I think you'll probably really dig it. But, uh, yeah, it's called Hired Guns. It should be free to watch on Amazon if you're a Prime member. I'll have to check that out for sure. Um, I've heard of uh, stuff involving him in the past, but, um, you know... Really interesting movie with uh, Rocket Man, but uh, love those two guys. That's been my week pretty much. It's just working and listening to music and listening to wrestling podcasts. I love a very productive uh, life. I'm not lonely at all. <laughs> I got the uh, ratings here if you want me to give a quick rundown. No, no, yeah, actually, go ahead. Um, I, I, For some reason, all I could find is was uh, viewership. I don't know if that's different or not. Uh but if you have it in front of you, go for it. Uh, I know NXT uh, won again. Crazy. Yeah, it's it's pretty similar to last week. It's uh, NXT had 759,000 viewers. AEW had yep, seven, uh, 715,000. And it was pretty much AEW won every demo except for 50-plus. But they lost in total viewers. So that's kind of a weird thing. I guess that shows that they have a an older audience. But there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. Um 
think it makes sense. I, I, I think that AEW in a lot of ways is driven for a younger audience. And I think in a lot of ways, NXT is kind of, yeah, I think, I think Triple H realizes that he can kind of approach people his age and older. So, wow, I just kind of like called Triple H out for being old. <laughs> Remember when he was in his 20s and we were, you know, little kids watching him? The fuck Hunter, happened? Hunter Hearst Helmsley and the uh, hog slop match or whatever. Oh my god, dude. With the, uh, what, what are those guys called? The, the Godwins! Holy <laughs> shit. What's Henry Godwin doing right now? What's Midian doing? <laughs> Man, okay. I wish I knew what Naked Midian was doing right now. What the fuck was that, Kimrick? No one talks about Naked Gideon anymore. What What happened? I'm sure if Jim Cornette was involved with the creative during then, that was Vince Russo's ideas, and he was probably trying to scrape out his eyeballs during it. But uh, <laughs> good shit. Oh man! All right. Well, uh, yeah. This is there's not a lot of news. Um, I did want to uh, pay my respects to uh, Linda McMahon's mother who passed away. Um, uh, Conan's mom passed away today of of COVID, which is terrible, and uh, just. Also, putting some good energy to Lana, both of her parents have been diagnosed with COVID, and they're in the intensive uh, care unit, and her mom is asthmatic. So, it's terrible. Uh, She seems to be okay, so I don't think anyone could try to connect the dots. But, hey, if she ends up having it or something, man, that's going to cause a ripple effect the size of fucking Miami, man. It's it's not going to be good. Um, like if she gave it to her parents and this is from the whole incident, but I'm pretty sure she's, she hasn't been around them. She just found out that her mom had it and her dad had it and then they went to the hospital. So just, um, thoughts, prayers, whatever towards everyone who's lost someone or Lana, who's dealing with her parents being in the, uh, intensive unit right now. So, yeah, sorry to have like a little bit of a negative note, Chris, but, uh, her about all that stuff today, especially Conan, I, I, I feel bad. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like we've talked a lot about sickness and unfortunate passings as of late on the beginning of these shows, but it's uh, it's yeah. kind of where we're where we're at in the world right now. Um, very, uh, as you said, sending prayers and and well regards to everyone in, in, that you just mentioned and uh, with with the Lana situation that that sucks. Did, do her parents also live in Florida? I'm not 100 percent sure. I. Uh, from what it looks like, there's no connection between her getting it and passing it to them. Like, I think they might live outside of Florida, but um, either way, that's got to be terrible and tragic to deal with. And I think that this kind of goes back to, I mean, <laughs> me and Chris live in Georgia. Uh, we were one of the first states open, and we have people that are very passionate about the way they're going to, you know, go about their life. But if if it all is needed and asked, even though we don't have all the answers behind this is for you to wear a mask or whatever, just wear a fucking mask. And that goes even double for Florida, which if like you're kind of insinuating scary concept. Cause my parents live in Daytona and I tell them all the time, just be you know safe and everything. But, uh, they could have gotten it just because of the amount of cases that are in Florida right now, if they live there, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's, it's pretty tragic. Yeah, I'm on the same boat with you. I mean, it, you could be a great swimmer, but you still should probably wear a life vest if you're going in the middle of the ocean. I consider this the same thing. Yes. <laughs> to some great extent. Analogy. I mean, and, you know, 
also you're not necessarily protecting yourself. I mean, you could be one of the greatest athletes of all time. You should be trying to protect others around you that may not. And we've talked about this on the show before, but you should be thinking about others around you and not necessarily thinking about yourself as much uh, to some extent. So I, I agree with you hundred percent. To me, there's no reason not to wear a mask. Like, yes, it's slightly uncomfortable and you might have mask breath, but you know, get some fucking Tic Tacs and get over it. <laughs> be, be part of the solution, not part of the fucking problem. Yeah. And, and when it comes down to the fact, it's like, well, I'm not going to be susceptible because I'm work out. It's like, Okay, well, think about people like this that are older, uh, that don't really have that choice, you know, or or, or anyone that's any age that has uh, problems with their immune system and stuff like that. That's just really selfish, if you ask me. So there's been a lot of selfishness, and I hate to say it, but it makes me sad. I, I'm not going to turn this into, like, a Monday suck episode, but it seems like every other fucking country just, you know, they got guidelines from uh, WoW and... They went about them, and they try to cut down their things, and they look at us like, what the fuck are people over there like, oh, it's not real. It's I, I just don't get it, dude. I really don't. Ugh. Yeah, same thing. And, I mean, there's certain states, like New York has done a pretty – New York and New Jersey, I think, getting ahead of it beforehand has, has proven that it's possible to try to help narrow this down and be more effective in the way you approach it. But uh, it's – in comparison to other countries, we are not doing the best job. Um, for instance, yep. Japan or Canada, even if we're looking closer at the border. Um, yeah, it's it's just have common decency and be nice. Like, as always, as we always say, be kind to people. And part of being kind to people is, you know, doing your due diligence to try to not get other people sick. I mean, I have like a, you know, a seven inch beard at this point and I'm still wearing a mask. So zero excuse <laughs> for everyone out there. We don't want to hear it. We got beards and shit, you know. All right. Well, yeah, that was that was some good stuff. And uh, if you uh, if you're mad, uh, go fucking grab a pillow and scream into it. I don't really give a shit. Um, but hopefully you're not, because I don't think that's something that you should be mad about. Uh, let's go over NXT, then we'll go over AEW. I thought both shows were really good. Um, I, I the thing is, I, I think I've come to the conclusion that with AEW. The show is an easier watch from start to finish. And that's not saying that NXT is not. Uh, NXT is. But I think what draws me into AEW is a start to finish and and, and the elements of what they're going to add in for storyline from this new organization that's doing it completely different. That's the appeal biggest with it. I think the marquee matches that NXT kind of puts into stuff and has like these long matches are good. And I, I think AEW does a great job with that too. But... That's what draws me more to NXT. Um, I thought NXT this week, they kind of put it in neutral is what I said to Chris. As far as a lot of the matches building up to the main event were kind of, I don't know, besides the three-on-three with, um, uh, what's his name? Oh, man, now I can't remember. Pop or Escobar Dos Santos. Is that what what his name is now? It's 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 uh, El Fantasma. But I um, thought that match was awesome. And But even the Johnny match... Like, it was fine, you know, but it was I, – I would have put, like, bigger guns out, honestly. And AEW had a lot of good stuff, too, on it. Um, but, yeah, good stuff. Uh, we already found out about the ratings. Uh, Chris, your overall view over both shows uh, compared? I'm, I'm much in the same boat as you. I, I seem to – AEW always seems a little bit like the easier watch, and I, I think it's 
it's a faster paced show in a lot of ways. And I think some of their storytelling and vignettes feel like almost like a WWE of old, so to speak, um, or a WCW where the show just kind of goes where NXT, you do get some of these kind of matches that are just thrown there. I think what NXT does great is the way they've booked their main event where you do have these, to me, big stars um, with big headline matches, which we saw with Keith Lee and Adam Cole. Like They've done a great job of building Keith Lee, and Adam Cole's held the belt for forever. Um, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head as far as how I feel about those shows as well. I personally liked the AEW show a little bit better, um, but NXT kind of ended with a banger, and if it wasn't for maybe a spoiler alert I heard <laughs> from a <laughs> NXT superstar, uh, I may have even liked it more. But uh, yeah, that's I, I same thing, same same. I have the same feeling as you. It feels like AEW week to week. They give you a little bit more, um, and the commentary is better, which to me goes a long way. Like I love the commentary, whether Jericho's there or if you just get the normal three piece. I me just suffering through Mauro Ronaldo each week is is in a lot of times <laughs> I just watch it with closed captioning on, um, just because of that. Unless there's a promo or something, I I just I can't deal with it. And everyone knows this if you listen to the show. I'm not a huge Mario fan. Yeah, like I, I keep on saying, I think they're doing this to Todd Phillips to see if he's good, rounded out for everything. And he's going to be able to work with Mario. I've tried to get stuff in there every once in a great while. But it'll be him and Beth. Beth is getting better, I, I will say, a commentary, I think. Uh, but it'll be him and Beth. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, Todd Phillips exists. I just couldn't. Like or or Marl will have to be like, and how do you feel, Todd? And then he'll try to get him into it. But uh, I forget he exists during the commentary most of the time. So what what happened with Nigel McGuinness? Like, what? I, I think he's. They... I think he went back home to the UK, and okay. you know that's like the biggest thing. I'm assuming it's a virus or virus related. Okay, because I I mean I feel like if you to me they don't need a three person commentating team and that's not short selling beth phoenix i just with the way morrow announces it would be better to just have two people and have nigel give you the important shit when he can get words in yeah no i agree i miss nigel too uh definitely a very accomplished commentator as well as a great wrestler um here's a question before we go into this and you know i hate to keep on bringing this up but they 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 seem to they tried it with Charlotte, they tried it with Finn Balor. I think it worked better with Charlotte. Uh, Finn Balor's been there now. Uh, Sasha obviously and Bailey provided rating boosts. Should they just bring a couple wrestlers they're not using that were big NXT stars that are now big stars as far as like the main roster people know them? Uh, you know that might have not watched NXT and bring them to fucking NXT and and, and involve them in that. If you got to trade some other people, I'm sure some people, you know, we'll talk about Adam Cole later, what what he's going to do. Spoiler warning. Um, but, Chris, do you think that it would be a good idea? Like, you know, what necessarily are they doing really with Kevin Owens? Uh, if you put Kevin Owens on NXT and he's a powerhouse and they put him back in the storyline, you know, Samoa Joe ever comes back. If Sami Zayn ever leaves Canada, Cesaro, Shinsuke Nakamura, Ruby Riot. Uh, Shanna Baszler, what the fuck's going on with Bianca Belair? You know, these Kari Sane again. Like, you know, it seems like 
leave their pay. They're they're now becoming bigger names, and they can draw the audience that watches Raw and SmackDown even more so to NXT if they were to take a couple of those people that they underutilize like fuck on the main product. But maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. No, I mean with Sami Zayn, that's a weird that's a weird scenario in general, and whether he's going to come back or not is up in the air because he was a manager and they put a title on him, but he was still kind of a manager. And obviously, he doesn't want to wrestle due to COVID concerns. Um, but everyone else, we've talked about this in the past. There's no reason why you couldn't push stars back down there. Uh, it's just, are they going to move the needle more than who's already there? And to me, the guys that would do that would be someone like a Randy Orton or, you know, someone like a Roman Reigns, like a big name that would you wouldn't expect to show up in NXT. Now, that would so be... Than- fucking awesome but you don't think if they had like you know Samoa Joe Kevin Owens and Shinsuke back or Shayna Baszler back that that wouldn't pump a little bit more with ratings well are they moving the are they currently moving the needle on the main product because you would want someone that's kind of hot if they're going down to NXT I mean with Sasha and with Sasha and Bailey at least they're being pushed on the main product like they're being shown to you each week and they're talking about them, but like if you know Kevin Owens just shows up randomly and there's no promotion on it and he doesn't really have a reason to be there, I don't know that it moves the needle that much. I mean, it's going to help them obviously, but you know if you're talking about what they got with Charlotte the first time she went down there or when Kevin Owens showed up at that pay per view, um, going into that feud he had well while basically while he was still in that feud with Seth Rollins. That I mean that to me is more of it is if you're sending someone big down there like if you know. If Seth Rollins is done kind of being the Messiah and you put him out of the picture for a while and you're like, okay, we're going to let Gallows run with this thing. Let's give Seth something to do. And you send him down to NXT for, you know, even if even if it's like three or four weeks or up to a pay-per-view, that to me is a bigger draw. It's got to be someone that would within reason is already considered a draw. And I don't know that Kevin Owens is moving the needle that much just because he's been wasted and Sami Zayn coming back. Your diehard NXT audience might be super into that because I think he's out maybe outside of Gargano is the biggest baby face they've ever had. But I, I, it's hard. It's so hard to say because with to various degrees, like when Sasha and Bailey came back, it's not like they popped the ratings. You know, two hundred thousand people. They beat no. you know, they beat AEW, but it wasn't like it was a, a total shift. Now, like if Becky showed up, for instance, maybe that's a. <laughs> A different conversation. I I think that's what more of what it is is I I don't know the obsession with this roster split anyways. If they're not really going to utilize it, maybe we'll see more with Adam Cole where that gets it's more of a shade of gray. But yeah, that's that's kind of my feelings. Now, do I want to see Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn go down as like a you know, or either of them go down and go against Keith Lee? Like Kevin Owens versus Keith Lee sounds fucking awesome. So I'd totally be down for that. And I think that match would draw. Zane versus Gargano. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I, I see where you're coming from. I still think that if you had some stars that have proven themselves, I see the thing that sucks is that there is that like a catch 22 in that because you kind of need them in some type of spotlight to be able to garnish, you know, people that are more casual about watching it to try out an NXT. And if it's people that we're talking about that they're not using, that's not going to help them as much. I, I do kind of agree with that, but at the same time, 
if they're not fucking using those people, it's like I think that the, they're considered stars and people would, you know, want to engage and, uh, you know, or at least it could definitely maintain the current audience to stay on that product because more of the NXT stars are, you know, on the show again, you know, as as far as that. If they got to make some trades to bring some other people on other places, it just it really kills me. Some of the, the choices that they've made with a lot of, uh, you know, people that have come up and some they've done awesome things with. But like a lot of them are fucking in limbo. And I, I can't believe Kevin Owens, who. I mean, all intents and purposes, I mean, obviously he's done a lot of heel stuff. It's, it's kind of like this generation is dusty, man. You know, the big guy that can talk his ass off and fucking sell himself and shit. But it just, he's cut short so much on the main product. But like you said, if you get someone like Seth or Roman or, or fucking Brock Lesnar or Randy Orton to go there, it's going to be a bigger appeal for people to change the channel and uh, or check it out for the first time with NXT. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, it's having a big name show up to NXT makes NXT seem like it's a big deal. And now you're looking at pulling in. To me, you're looking at pulling in a legend. So when we, what was the when you had the was the feud with Champa and Randy Orton and they were teasing that like that would be something that would cause your casual fans that are just like your Randy Orton fans, which he still has. That would cause them to tune into NXT. It, it has to be something like that, or there has to be some kind of big storyline. I think the reason they got the pop they did with NXT showing up on the main product is you're teasing an invasion angle. So, like, if you send a crew of people, like, if you send Seth Rollins' entire crew down there, you get Buddy Murphy and, you know, Austin Theory's back and Seth Rollins or whatever, now you got a little bit more of a storyline, and that might make your casual fans tune in a little bit more because it's anchored by something. Hmm. That's a good point. Or what about a tournament? What if you took some of the best champions in NXT, not saying that they have to have the belt currently, you take that person out of it and, you know, devise a tournament with like some of the best champions or some shit as like a something to put either as a pay-per-view or like on their show, you know, these matches going forward where you could have like Seth against someone, Kevin against someone, Finn against someone, like, you know, some of the top tier champions and do something like that. That'd be also something interesting. They should just have more interaction, I think, with Ron SmackDown. If they really worry about, I mean, and I don't know why, but you know how Vince is, this whole Wednesday Night War with AEW, you might as well try to, like, I, I just thought, once again, this week, in general, was pretty fucking weak for the bill, other than the main event. And to me, if I'm in a quote-unquote ratings war, I'm going to want to try to like get as much, you know, and garnish a lot of power on that show to get people to watch it. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass this week because I know their tapings got screwed up because of the Corona stuff. Um, The testing is that they had positive within the performance center. So that shifted a lot of people's schedules. So like, for instance, we didn't see any of our big monster heels this week. Right. Not yep. even vignette, not any really any vignettes or anything that you would kind of expect um, on the show, from what I recall. I mean, one of the matches was Bronson Reed versus Tony Meese. So <laughs> at some point, yeah, it's like a, we just got to get who we can get into this to do <laughs> to do this show, and it kind of felt like that. Not that any of the matches were you know fucking the drizzling shits or anything, but it was just no. kind of a thrown together show around. We have this one big match. 
which is fine. I mean, Raw did that for years, so it's not like it's a, it's unheard of. <laughs> no, it's not. Hey, real quick, before we move on and start reviewing NXT, can you recall what the ratings were like for ECW uh, when, when that came onto Sci-Fi during the WWE era ECW? Not right offhand, but I could probably pull it. We're talking about. Are we talking about Paul's TNT show or the specifically the WWE Sci-Fi show? The the I'm I'm thinking of like a when there was a third brand, so the WWE one, like if they actually were exceeding a million at all, or if they were hovering around the same time, or you know. I, I will. Uh, I'll try to pull that up as we get into this. Um, well, because it, there's a site that that has all of this information. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say what you want to say, probably in their heyday of 2006. Were people like, you know, who was, who was on that product? It was like John Morrison, CM Punk, Mark Henry, Big Show. Was Kane involved? Okay. So it through throughout 2006, they were averaging at least above 1.5 million. Wow. Uh, with highest being about 2.7 million. Um, based on you know, 2xzone.com, which gives you ratings for all of these shows, or at least when they were published ratings, which I'm, I'm assuming they pulled from you know newsletters and such. But even going to 2009, which is a very kind of the end of it, they were still pulling like 1.1s and 1.2s. I think the wrestling fandom and the way people watch TV, as we talked about previously, does play into this. I mean, yeah, it definitely does. But I mean, even TNA, the fact that they had you know, 1.35 or a 1.5, you know, and at least 2 million viewers on average compared to what NXT and AEW does. It's just like, I think that we do obviously need to step down. You know, uh, Chris Jericho was the one who put on Twitter that ratings basically don't matter and, and more went over the, the strategy of, of, of what what age bracket they're going for. And I mean, I was like, all right, whatever. I mean, you guys lost two weeks. I don't even know why you're even addressing this, Chris. But he was he was on Twitter doing that. But as me and you always kind of like break down and, and see, it, the ratings concept doesn't really matter as much. I guess technically, you know, that's the whole thing. It's it's always going to technically matter when it comes to merchandising, you know, commercials and shit. But um, it. it We've talked about this in the past, but the, I think the one company, the one company where it does matter is WWE on Fox, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> because they were expecting to be getting, they thought it was going to be a wrestling boom period. They were going get, to be getting three million viewers, and the only time they ever got that was like the first episode where The Rock showed up. Uh, and it's also, like I said, a free channel that anyone can access. Like you buy an antenna, you, you get Fox for free. Wire not more people tuning into this. And you look at what they pull for like any of the talent shows they have, or even something like uh, the TV series, they have nine one one versus what SmackDown's doing and, and SmackDown's getting slapped in the face <laughs> by, by the ratings. And they also had their lowest rating, not for SmackDown in general, but for SmackDown on Fox that happened this week and, and raw had its second lowest rating this week. So to see NXT and AEW both staying the same, at least you're seeing a loyal audience, whether it yeah. be something very brand specific. There hasn't been as much fluctuation as there has been in the main products uh, of WWE. But yes, I mean with Fox specifically, they just paid, they shelled out all that money for this huge 
TV deal, and obviously they weren't expecting COVID when that happened, um, and the difference in how that TV show looks. I mean, to me, it's I, I've settled into what those shows, what the shows look like so much now. I don't know that that's really affecting it as much as the product they're putting on air. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. WWE's crazy. You, you know, you go over. I think it was Maria Kanellis. She was talking about how pissed off she was that, you know, just like many of those guys are going to let, let go by the WWE. You know, everyone's uh, dealing with financial stuff, obviously. Uh, but WWE has made the most money <laughs> this year profit-wise out of, like, I think it was every year beforehand because of, you know, parts of the Saudi deal, the, the Fox deal, re-upping with USA, and the fact that they let all these people go, that they signed a contract, convinced them to stay, and, you know, you have, I didn't even think about this with Maria and Mike. I know Mike asked for his release beforehand, but Maria just had a baby, and they convinced her and Mike to stay and, and stay with their contracts, and then they let them go, and they've made more money hand over fist, even with the COVID crisis going on. And no other fucking company had to do that. No other wrestling company had to do that. It just makes you think with WWE, even though, yeah, financially this sucks. Rating-wise, it probably sucks, but, you know... Vince is still going to the bank pretty happy. Yeah, and, and for a while there, WWE is already reporting losses on their live shows anyways. So it's all about the TV contracts and Saudi money for their primary product. So the, the firings and the layoffs that they did was just, to me, maintaining EBITDA. Just you're you're lowering your cost of what you're doing. But that TV contract money is guaranteed unless there's some kind of buyout clause or something weird that, you know, Fox has worked in or USA has worked in that money's there regardless, uh, which is a lot yep. of what their, a lot of their projections were made out of where you get something a little similar with AEW, but AEW, I don't know how they structured that contract as far as how they're paying for arenas and stuff, because it was a little different as far as TNT's or it's TNT, right? For their broadcast network? Yes. Am I crazy? Okay. Yep. It, it, they structured that contract differently. Um, I don't feel like they're losing any money, but it's they were also – they were basically being given $400,000 to do these live shows. Now, obviously, the shows aren't live. They're taped. I wonder if they're – I wonder if they're able to pocket that cash because they're still putting out a pro, like a product or if it's just now they can't give that <laughs> – they're just basically giving that money back to TNT – so they're not losing anything because right now, as far as I, I know and read, they're still going to finish the year in the black, which they didn't think was going to happen. Like they thought their first year they were going to be in the red and build an audience, but they had such a good run right off the bat from when they started um, that they kind of that that didn't happen. So it's interesting to see them still signing people and bringing people in. Obviously, they're. They seem like they're in this for the long haul, but uh, yeah, they, that that gets really weird when we start talking about con- like TV contracts because the only thing you really get out of it is the press conferences, and you're not getting as much of that with AEW as you are with WWE because of their earnings calls because they're publicly traded. You get their earning calls and such, whereas AEW like we only get what Tony Khan told us a couple of months ago. Everything else, and, and who knows if what he told us is actually correct or not. Yeah. Well, you brought up uh, actually something else, too, that I, I'm glad I remembered that I wanted to talk to you about, because uh, I, I watched an interview with uh, Brian Pillman Jr. 
uh, we talked about this last, uh, you know, last round of shows uh, about him being on AEW. Um, and it was wondering like when he was going to show up and he was in a, he was on um, AEW dark in a match against Sean Spears and uh, he lost. <laughs> so I thought this was probably going to deal with Cody's open challenge, talking about other wrestlers from other companies can come in and challenge me sort of thing. And they were going to put him in that type of position in the interview that he had that was, you know, uh, post all the, the match he was in and everything. Um, he said that he had a great time. He kind of made it sound like he might be leaving MLW and that he's really hoping to get to AEW. So it looks like he could be, you know, on the roster. He said that he's already had a built-in um, past with MJF, uh, that he really would love to work with uh, Cody and Chris because those are like his two guys that really inspired him and helped him in the industry. Uh, along with like Lance Storm and um, Davy Boy Jr. and a lot of probably other people too, but um, you know it was good seeing Pillman. I hate to see him losing to fucking Sean Spears. Uh, that's why I messaged on the the group that he is the Baron Corbin of fucking AEW. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on going with that concept. But I hope to see Brian Moore, and I would love to see him show up maybe next time against Cody. I just don't know how you really throw that and make it make sense when he lost to Sean Spears on a dark match. I don't know. That's the one thing that they do is kooky. Like, if you got fucking Brian Pillman Jr., why wouldn't you put him on your main show? I don't know. Oh, well, maybe they don't know how that MLW stuff is going to work out yet. And this Maybe they considered that, was, that a tryout match. Huh? That's a good point. So, yeah, we, we know that the contract says it's, well, from what Dave Meltzer said, the contract says it's open. Um, but to the same extent, uh, filthy Tom Lawler lost his match for his first new Japan show and it's dark, right? So how many other fans are watching dark each week? Uh, unless they bring it up in a record or something later on, I don't think it's going to be too huge of a deal. I am looking forward to seeing them do something with him. If they, if he is indeed able to perform on a week to week basis, but I'm also kind of curious on, if he's only able to do this because MLW is not running shows, like is MLW running yeah. shows right now? No, no, they're, they're trying to get back to, you know, live, but that's not working out for them right now. Yeah. So like if, for instance, if MLW is taping the same nights as AEW right now, or when they start back and they don't know what that taping is looking like, it would really suck for AEW to start pushing this guy. And they're only able to film, you know, whatever day they're able to film. And then MLW goes, Oh, that's the day we need to film. <laughs> I'm assuming that 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 contract would take precedent since they're the ones, you know, paying him full time. So it's kind of hard to it's hard to say, but it it, that one's a little weird. And putting him in there with Sean Spears, who's kind of known as being a, you know, a pretty damn good in ring worker and a guy that helped a lot of people. Cody called him a a good hand is what Cody called him. (laughs) If you remember, that's fucking fucking mean. Uh, No, but like he used to get credit when he was in NXT for training younger guys because he's like 39. He's been doing this forever. So putting him there with Brian Pillman Jr. and giving Sean Spears a win, I don't think that's a huge deal. Um, And I mean, it wasn't like he just got demolished. Right. So he he didn't. But Chris, he's the Baron Corbin of AEW. (laughs) Who's <laughs> Sean Spears? Yes. 
Okay, I thought you meant Brian Filmon Jr. at first. I was like, no, no. no. Unless he wants to do his moves, he's not. Brian looks jacked, by the way. He looks in great shape. Um, very impressed with his uh with his match in general and his showing. So hopefully we see him more. Uh, I think him a part of those guys like you know that are in their fucking early twenties. They all know each other. Him, MJF, you know, Jungle Boy. I think he'll add really well to that. Darby, Ricky Starks. Um, but yeah, I guess we should start this stuff, shouldn't we? Yeah, I guess so. But hey, we we got we got through news that we didn't know we were going to talk about, and we talked about uh Brian Pullman Jr. So we, we started exactly. this out well. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I got a breakdown from Ringside News. Thank you guys very much for your breakdown. They have a breakdown of the whole entire matches like we were doing. Do you want me to read through it? Because some uh, of them are like sh- fucking. Sh- I think for the big matches, yeah, probably not for these two or three minute matches. No, um, the first one I thought was one of the better matches of of NXT. We started off first with a recap of the first uh, night for the Great American Bash, and plus promos from Keith Lee and Adam Cole. And they let us know that different celebrities were going to chime in uh, throughout the, the night. Uh, Mark Henry was one of the first guys who had a pretty great episode on the bump. He's one of Keith's uh, mentors um, throughout everything, both him and uh, Dusty, apparently. You know, give it to Dusty Rhodes for seeing talent. Uh, Keith got cut a long time ago. He's told this story uh, many times. Um, originally from NXT. He didn't get there until years later, and so he went on the independent circuit, but he was thinking about giving up, and Dusty saw a lot of potential and gave him his number and said, hey, call me if you need to talk to someone. You got a lot of potential, kid. You know, just keep on doing this thing and and make it back, and he did, but obviously, you know, Dusty had passed after that, but called him up whenever he needed stuff, so those two are very important to Keith Lee, and Mark Henry had a great episode on the bump, and, uh, just good stuff, and he said some stuff about you know how Adam Cole's a great champion. They asked Shawn Michaels, they asked Drew McIntyre, um, and uh, a bunch of other people, Mick Foley, and it was it was fun uh, promoting this fight. Really, honestly, besides the first match, like the it, the whole show was about the last match, Adam Cole versus Keith Lee, and it sucks for your situation, Chris, because like I w- I just stayed away from you know spoilers. And I think I might have ruined it for myself, but it was like I saw it for a split second and I turned away in a message or something on fucking Facebook where some asshole had to write it. But I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to look into it. And the match played out and uh, I really liked the match. But, um, you know, how, how did you like the uh, the intro and how did you like the stuff peppered in throughout the night of different wrestlers going over the last match between Keith Lee and Adam Cole for the two championships? It's one of the better things that we've talked about this on the show before that NXT does, where they're able to make a match feel bigger based on these interviews and stuff. Now, I don't watch the bump, but I really enjoyed everything that they peppered in throughout the night, like you said, with Mark Henry and talking about the relationship with Dusty. And even during the match, I will give them props. They mentioned uh, Tim Baker, who we talked about, Buster, Buster Brody as being, you know, Keith Lee losing a trainer. So throughout the night, yep. they kind of built his hardships. Moro got that in a couple is. times, and I'm it's, glad he did. Which I thought was really, really cool. And they, they sold the story of like what Keith Lee had to accomplish to get here as not being your prototypical WWE type superstar, as of you know what even what today's standards is. Um, I really liked it, man. I thought that was very, very enjoyable and well done. And that's some of the better stuff they do is 
is telling you the background, and I wish they would do more of it, honestly. Yeah, me too. All right, so our first match was a hardcore match between Candice LeRae and Mia Yim. Um, I'll get, give you the breakdown on this because there were a lot of fucking just crazy-ass spots. I feel like if this starts and Jim Carnett's watching, he's probably going to fucking just pull out after the first match. But, you know, uh, but I thought it was a really excellent match when it came to some of the things that they did. And let me just say that the table spot at the end was really fucking sketchy. Um, but we'll get to that. But Miriam attacked Candice LeRae while LeRae poses on the ramp. Yim tosses LeRae down the ramp and into the steel steps before pulling out a trash can with a, cra- a trash can lid, kendo sticks, some steel chairs, tossing everything in the ring, getting ready. Yim and LeRae get in the ring and the bell rings. LeRae grabs a kendo stick and tees off on Yim, but Yim is able to pull the stick out of LeRae's hands and returns strikes of her own. After laying out LeRae, Yim goes outside the ring and grabs the table, tossing it into the ring as well. Uh, LeRae hits Yim with a drop kick through the ropes, sending Yim on the floor to the outside. LeRae grabs the table and sends it up in the corner. Yim gets back in the ring and tries to hit a suplex on LeRae through the table. LeRae escapes and tries to send Yim through the table, but Yim catches her and rolls her into the pinfall to attempt to I don't think I want to fucking do this. So they start brawling outside, and uh, they got to a spot where basically they were positioned on this plank that was out, out there. Like, um, it was near a bunch of tables that they were trying to act was like, I guess, catering tables. It's funny because, like, I'm, I wonder if Triple H was like, hey, Dad, you think that we can get, like, a whole, like, platter of random food that we can waste like you always do on your shows, you know, on Minute Run and stuff? <laughs> and... It's just like, you got bananas and oranges. And that was it. That was all the, and some candy. Doesn't like open catering seem like the worst idea during this though? Yep. Okay. We're just, it's like going to a golden corral. You got, you got some high risk happening. Yeah. I don't know. So then Candace was like, uh, or Yim hit Candace with a trash can lid, and then she was throwing bowls and serving dishes at her. And they got to this platform, like I said, and it was like Candace was going to try to suplex Yim through the tables behind her, but uh, you know Yim uh, pulled back and then spe- or no, not didn't even spear her. She pushed her. She fell through it. She kind of overshot, and I thought she might have hurt herself because she her head just smacked against the floor. Um. Pretty brutal. And then they were both in the ring, and LeRae's just selling most of the time. Uh, then there was a commercial break, and it basically the ending was Miriam setting up all these chairs in the middle that she's going to hurt Candace with. And then they end up, she ends up throwing her on top of the table, and, and Candace is just selling. And then they both end up on the table. And like I said, man, this was getting to the point where it was shaking, and they barely had any balance on it. And I'm like, like, any little fucking thing could fuck this shit up. Well, Yim, uh, uh, Mia had found um, some brass knuckles, and so she was going to hit Candace with it, and Candace blocked it. She put it onto her, her hand, gave her a strike in the face, and did oh, – I forgot what the fuck the move is. Like a um, rolling neck Mr. breaker, Toad's, basically. Yeah, it's Mr. Toad's wild ride is what she calls it. Whatever. The the rolling neck breaker onto the, the chairs. Me and already got hit in the face by knuckles. They didn't fall off the fucking ladder. One, two, three. Candice LeRae gets a good, uh, you know, pin. And uh, they sold well. I thought it was a really good hardcore match. I like 
I like it when you set up spots to come back to later. I think that's really smart to do in anything. Like you don't set up a table and just put them through a table. You got to like pretend with it, fuck with it, have people forget about it, and then come back to it. Um, but I liked it. It was it was a good opening match. Um, I don't remember what started on AEW, but oh, it was that the tag match. I was like going back and forth between the two of them. So that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing, as DDP would say. Chris, what do you think <laughs> about this match? I thought it was a, a good match. They're getting really good at this for, for, formula of hardcore matches, like you mentioned. And I think NXT has kind of got the perfect prototype to do this, where they set things up and then come back to it way later. Uh, to some extent, they do this on the main roster as well. For instance, Roman Reigns versus Baron Corbin at that pay-per-view match, uh, where they set up a bunch of stuff and then finally made their way back around to it. Um, but yeah, like overall, I thought this was a pretty good match. I thought it was really weird that Mia Yim pulled out brass knuckles from her pocket. Like she just pulled these out. It's very heel, even during a hardcore match to me for Mia Yim is the baby face here, right? Um, yep. for her to pull out brass knuckles, I thought it was kind of cool seeing Candice LeRae block them with chairs and chair shots, uh, and then get the win. I don't know what this does for Mia Yim. Candice LeRae is kind of. I don't know where she falls in the women's division just because of the storyline they're giving her and Johnny Gargano, but it was a strong win for her um, coming out of this. And mostly just because, like I said, Mia Yim kind of came off like a heel, even though she wasn't by pulling out brass knucks, even though it's like it's a hardcore match. But I don't know. I would have saved the brass knuckles for down the line if you were going to use them. Uh, that makes more sense to me in a in a, a regular match. Even if you stop it from happening, it, that's you know that's your typical heel move. I've prayed for someone to do this, and then doing it here just didn't. To me, that didn't make sense. But I like the finish, and that table, like you said, was very fucking sketchy. Who set up this table? Harvey yeah. Allen. He's like, let me see how sketchy I can set this thing up. Let's let me see how bad I could ruin this. <laughs> but luckily, they got they uh. got off that thing without killing each other, and ended in kind of a cool spot. But uh. Yeah, Mr. Toad's wild ride, Mauro Ronaldo yelling that. It's most awkward shit. God, uh, I'm glad I turned up the volume more so on uh, AEW's commentary <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. M- Mr. Toad's wild ride. Bull! Uh, I'm just kidding. I, I can't even blame him for that. That's just, I mean, that's just a bad move name. That's yeah, not his fault. What does that even mean? It's a rolling fucking neckbreaker. That's that's really what it is. It's a rude awakening, sort of. Not really. <laughs> Whatever. All right, but um, I think we can both say yeah, good starting match, and then it kind of like, like I said, there was that three on three tag match I thought was good, and everything else kind of like the next match, uh, you know, is, is a good example for that. We we were talking about it, Bronson Reed. Going against Tony Nese and nothing against Tony Nese, but they showed some stuff that I guess happened. I don't remember on NXT that some shit that Tony Nese did uh, to one of Bronson's friend that he beat um, just pulling some shady shit. And so now this is his retaliation. I like Bronson Reed a lot. We talked about this. I don't remember, Chris, if the entrance, he always did that, I guess, tribute to Eric, where they have him step on the 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 stairs and they shake the, the, uh, the, the camera. Um, I thought that was actually awesome, but that's the first time I noticed that <laughs> I should have, I, I guess I should have noticed that before since he said he was a big earthquake mark, but, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's fun to watch. Um, him and Tony Nese had a pretty damn good match and Bronson got a, a, a win over him. Um, you know, just a 
very standard big guy versus heel, I guess, you know, match. But uh, how'd you like that match between Tony Nese and Bronson Reed? Other than it just being there, I thought the in-ring work was pretty good. I didn't notice the earthquake spot on the entrance, honestly. Um, maybe I maybe I fast-forwarded through the entrance on this one because I did watch this show today. Um, so I'll have to pay attention to that. There was one spot where Tony Nese hit like a the super crazy springboard moonsault, which I thought was neat towards the end of the match. But then, you know, Reed just whipped the shit out of him with lariats, and that was kind of the, the end of the match. But uh, overall, I mean, decent little match. It's just right, right when this was going on, what would have been going on on the other show? We had, I mean, I guess we'll get into that, but we had that tag team match, and then we get Lance Archer and Janela right after. So it was a little bit of a lull period. And uh, I don't remember this buildup between Bronson Reed and Tony Nese either. Me neither. They just showed us some videos, but I don't remember that happening. Like, so I don't know if this happened. Did this happen on, uh, are they still doing 205 Live? Did it happen on main event? Was this one of those internet It might only... happen on main event. Okay. So maybe maybe that's what it is. But I don't, looking back on my notes that here from the past few weeks, I don't recall them even being near each other. But maybe I'm just losing my mind. Yeah, I'm not sure myself, but... Hey, good win for Bronson Reed. And uh, after that, we had a we had a package for Mercedes Martinez for her coming out. And then Robert Stone and Aaliyah tried to recruit Shotzi Blackheart backstage. Uh, but Shotzi said that she wasn't going to be a part of that, basically, that uh, he was he sucked. Killian Dane finds Robert Stone backstage and tosses him down before Shotzi rolls over Stone's leg with her tank. And during the commercial break, in the picture-on-picture, it had, like, people, like, coming in there, Leah, like, huddling a bunch of people and trying to pick up this tank off of Robert Stone's leg, who's, like, squealing and looking like he's just selling. It was pretty fucking funny. I'll I'll, I'll give it that. But uh, uh, I liked uh, Shotzi turning him down, and I guess we're probably going to get a match with her and Aaliyah coming out soon. I just don't know what this does for Robert Stone. All I know is that he accidentally showed us for that last match that he's actually – built pretty well, you know, uh, body-wise, and he's a wrestler and he can bump. It's just a really weird direction sometimes how, nope, he's going to be a manager and he's this sh- shitty manager and he's managing, you know, and even though I've stuck up for her in the past, probably one of the, uh, you know, lowest on the totem pole female wrestlers in NXT. So uh, I don't know what happened to Chelsea Green. She kind of disappeared. I heard she's going to main roster, but we haven't seen her. So uh, weird stuff. Uh, how'd you like this little interaction with, Aaliyah, uh, Robert Stone, and Shutsy Blackheart in her tank. I thought it was pretty funny when he got ran over by the tank and then someone had to come pick it up. <laughs> um, so that, you know, that was entertaining, much like you thought. I Same thing, I don't know what they're doing with Robert Stone. He did say that he has, he has signed someone. So it would be awesome if, if he did sign someone that's a complete badass, even if they screw him over later down the line or whatever. You get you give him this kind of funny bad manager getting his ass kicked, and they could have done this with Titus O'Neil as well, where you finally sign, where he finally does convince someone that's a badass to be part of his team. Like, um, for instance, maybe Shayna decides to come back to NXT, and somehow Robert Smith, <laughs> Robert Stone is convinced convinced her to do so or something. I feel like there's cool stuff you could do, but I think they're pretty comfortable with him being. 
you know, this, which I'm sure he is he is fine with in comparison to some of the things he's done in the past after Impact. <laughs> First, yeah. like for instance, wrestling on Grimm's Toy Show, which is a YouTube channel, <laughs> which I'm sure he didn't get paid for. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Um, all right, so we had a match that kind of got set up uh, where Gargano was. Who was he messing with? He was messing with someone, and Isaiah uh, Scott got in his face basically and was like, "If you want to mess with someone, you mess with me." And then they kind of had that beef sort of, you know, thing backstage. So they they had a match, um, and it was a really good match actually. Now that I think about it, uh, I'm telling you, I I know that Gargano needed this win, but Isaiah Swerve Scott. Shane Strickland, kill shot, whatever you want to call him. He's an excellent fucking in-ring wrestler. Um, the one spot that I said, ugh, I, I just don't ever need to see someone do a reverse run on someone to the outside. Um, the only other time I've seen that was from Wrestle Kingdom 11 when Kenny did it to Okada. And I think Johnny and, 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 and Shane are really, really fucking good wrestlers. But Okada is in my eyes, probably the best, and especially at taking stuff. Uh, he's extremely good at that. And Kenny is an efficient fucking wrestler. I just don't think that that spot needs to happen. I think it's that's that's like like pile drivers on the apron. I don't need to see those really anymore, too. Like, that's that's like little to no fucking failure, but it looks like he's okay. We'll, we'll get to another spot with Adam Cole later that looked just terrible. He fucking fell around on his neck, but he did it to himself, but uh, this one too scared the shit out of me. But these guys had a good match. Isaiah's really good in the ring. I don't. How do I put this the right way? I don't. I don't think you should copy the gimmick at all. But if a certain person, and we don't know what's going on, but if a certain person is leaving NXT with Velveteen Dream. You've already kind of and you, and you, and you kind of lessened it because I know because I've seen him in MLW and, and also Lucha Underground. This motherfucker, he can cut a promo. But if you let him talk and you kind of like let him have a little bit more androgynous like to himself like you did before when you first packaged him. And I actually complained about it and said, we already have a Velveteen Dream. We don't need that. You can kind of like work with his character a little bit, especially if that ends up happening. I don't, I don't know what the fuck's going to go on with that whole situation, but I'm just saying, I think that there is money in Shane Strickland in this company, and I'm happy that they're finally starting to show it. Uh, him and Johnny had a good match, man. They beat the living shit out of each other, and they did some crazy stuff. Like I said, though, Chris, I don't need to see another reverse Arana on the outside um, ever again in wrestling, honestly. <laughs> you don't want to see Naito and uh, Ibushi do this soon? No! God, no! <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Why not? I'm just kidding. Um, I thought this was a pretty decent match. I don't... I mean, I understand they set it up. And... In theory, this should help Isaiah Swerve Scott for having a good showing, but he just lost to Johnny Gargano, who was a heel, and didn't do anything heelish to win. Why not just have Gargano cheat to win or something and then protect Isaiah? That's Swerve a good Scott? point. You're so, full of them tonight, man. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> it shouldn't be a good point. I mean, <laughs> that one's pretty easy. I know they don't want to do a DQ finish all the time, but you didn't even have to do a DQ finish. You could have Gargano poke him in the eye and do a roll up or 
Um, something just slightly shitty. But maybe the idea is that now Gargano can just go do something else, but I don't know where that leaves Isaiah Swerve Scott. And the mid-card right now of NXT is up in the air. Kind of kind of top-heavy. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, especially now that you've given the... We have the Cruiserweight title, but the technical secondary title for NXT is now on the same person that has the first. So that's all that you're kind of like Keith Lee having both those titles. I was thinking about this. You kind of like destroyed a division unless Keith Lee. And this is how they could do it. I don't know. Unless Keith Lee is, is going to, you know, have a match where he only puts the North American on the line and maybe he ends up losing that, but still has a championship because he doesn't put the NXT title on the line. But I don't know. Uh, I was just like, well, with him having both of them, now what the fuck does everyone else just work for the Cruiserweight title if they're not in the big title picture? This is part of the problem with having your dual champion, which WWE seems to be in love with over the past seven or eight months. Let's have a dual champion. Let's have a dual champion. It's fine. But Becky two belts. <laughs> Becky two belts. Uh, this we're going to talk about later tonight. Um didn't Bailey and Bailey and uh, Sasha? She has two belts. What did she had some kind of weird name for it uh, recently? It, it's uh, I, don't know. I don't know. I I don't like it. I get what they're trying to do. I think that this is a perfect time where you you set up a tournament right for the North American title and you just say, look, you can only have one of these at a time and you just strip it from it. And then you know, who cares? He's the heavyweight champion. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And William uh, Regal would be perfect at doing that, too. Like, as far as having that kind of authority figure, NXT is the only one that really has that. As far as someone that makes matches and makes, you know, hard decisions. that That's how they booked William Regal. So him coming out and just being like, I can't have the title. You can't defend the title two times a night. And so you're yeah. going to have to pick one. Remind me, I, when we go over the end of Keith Lee and Adam Cole with uh, Killer Cross, I have a theory that I just thought of, but I don't want to bring it up until then. Uh, if you forget, then then it will be all lost from my mind. So it's it's on you, Chris. Damn it. Okay, I'll, I'll try to remember. <laughs> all right. So um, Joaquin Wild, uh, uh, Joaquin Wild, Escobar, and Raul Mendoza came out. They're now El Legado del Fantasma. I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, I don't know what Fantasma means, but that's about it. But going against obviously Brazongo uh, and Drake Maverick, and the match was good. It was, it was a pretty good match. It was a good showing for this new group. I think it was the main thing, and I loved how they really had it well uh, with Mendoza or not Mendoza, um, Escobar playing the heel. Because at first we have Tyler Breeze and Joaquin Wild in the in the match, and you have Tyler selling a lot. Finally, uh, they get Santos uh, Escobar in, and Drake gets the tag. Escobar's out of there, and then you have Raul Mendoza and Fandango for a majority of the match selling. Um, and same type of thing happened. Finally, Drake got to have it uh, with with uh, Escobar, but screwed himself out and ended up losing. Uh, Drake Maverick. What happened exactly? I think Maver- 
me, let me go from here. So Mendoza and Wild try to interfere, but Breeze and Fandango take them to the outside. The Maverick goes to top rope, but uh, Escobar hits Maverick's legs, stunning him temporarily on top rope. Escobar picks Maverick off the rope and hits Maverick with the Phantom Driver, pinning him for the three. That's right. And uh, I, like I said, I think this was a good showing of the three of them. And I'm interested in this group. I just – I know this is going to eventually be Drake Maverick going against – uh, Escobar, I don't think that Drake should take the pin necessarily. I think that either Tyler or Fandango could have. And it sucks that we get that package where it's like, you know, Tyler Breeze and Fandango are like, we're going to start taking this seriously, blah, 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 blah. And they're kind of exactly where they were, really, honestly. But Fandango doing that fucking flip to the outside, I hope he didn't fuck up his, his leg. He looked like he he uh, landed pretty tenderly. The guy is six fucking four. Like, he is a big dude. And some of the stuff that he does is absolutely ridiculous for someone his size. I mean, we say that about a lot of people, but, like, he, he did that, like, spin flip thingy. I don't know what the fuck it's called, basically, perfectly. And then it's because of his size that he fell, caught himself pretty well with his legs, and then was kind of favoring it a little bit. I hope he didn't hurt himself. But uh, uh, good tag match. What would you think about this, Chris? I hated the finish. I don't like Drake Maverick taking the pin, especially if the buildup is yep. he's eventually going to get the win. Um, I also, much like you, I don't understand them being silly again, especially if we're going to get if we're supposed to be getting a more serious Fandango and in, in, in Tyler Breeze, which we didn't really get. Fandango was incredible in this fucking match, uh, much like you just said. I thought that was all selling. Uh, as far as the spot you did with the knee, the knee spot, and eventually they just went right to it. Um, against the ring steps, the uh, the El Legado del Fantasma. It just means the legacy of Phantasma. So, like, not in Spanish. It's kind of a bad name. Oh. Also, I, also, I saw someone point out that like all heel factions in WWE wear armbands since Nexus, and uh, they're totally doing that. And Undisputed Era totally wow. does it. <laughs> Except for Escobar has a different color armband because he's the boss. <laughs> I can't remember who pointed this out. You got to show authority, I was, man. I was like, damn, now I'm never going to be able to un- unsee the armband teal faction thing. I wonder if like Seth's group's doing it. I'm going to have to look and see now. Um, but, but yeah, it was a uh, hey, Maverick looked good at the end of the match when he was running, you know, kind of he got a kind of got the, the hot tag and was just going all over the place, and then he just gets crossed on the turnbuckle. Phantom driver, it's over. I don't know what this match does for any of the baby faces. It was a really, really out of, not out of nowhere, but like kind of lackluster ending. It was like, boom, boom, oh, that's it. That's done. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. Maybe that's just how they see Drake Maverick, though. They're like, hey, we know he got really over with his promos, and look, we put him at the end of this tournament, but now he's just going to be a guy that gets his ass kicked for a while, which is kind of what it's seeming like, uh, which is disgusting because I I thought that he's been really good as of late. And I would love a serious Fandango, maybe with a different fucking name. (laughs) Maybe that's Robert Stone. Fandango doesn't roll off the tongue. (laughs) Maybe, maybe uh, Maybe that's Robert Stone's new guy. Fandango is going to leave Brazengo and come back with a new gimmick name with Robert Stone as manager. I'm down for that. Make him super heel and fucking Tyler go against him. Yeah, push. sure. You know? All right, so the next matchup we had was Santana Garrett 
going against Mercedes Martinez. Uh, this was the match built for Mercedes, but I have to say, and I've said this about Santana Garrett too, she is an extremely good female wrestler. Can you fucking push her? She kind of like always is in these matches helping the other person out. Kind of, you know, that's how you lost Deanna Prazo. That's all. Um, but uh, Mercedes uh, came out. She looked like Glacier. She had that scary-ass fucking mask on. She looked intimidating <laughs> as shit. <laughs> I guess that's not the best compliment. Uh, Sub-Zero. But uh, Hayabusa. Uh, uh, but, yeah. But Garrett came out and... Uh, I mean, she had a little bit of uh, offense against Mercedes Martinez, but this was her match, and, I mean, she beat the crap out of her at the end of it, gave her a couple German suplexes, a couple clotheslines, and then end with the uh, Fisherman Buster, which is always nice to see, and got the three count. Pretty, it's not a squash match, but pretty easy win over Santana. So I'd like to see more from Santana Garrett, outside of just being an enhancement talent. Um, and... Good first showing for Mercedes Martinez, uh, now full-time on NXT. How'd you like this, Chris? Uh, I thought it was a fine little make-Mercedes-look-strong match, especially because they've been doing the vignettes building up to her return. So you kind of assumed this would be her first match, right? So, uh, at least it wasn't something like Emelina or whatever, <laughs> where for weeks I've been hearing about this person coming back and then they do dick all. So I, I don't know. Um I want to see where they go with it. Obviously, I I don't have much faith in Mar- Mercedes Martinez being a huge star with the stacked roster that they have. But I guess, I guess we'll see. Yep. Um, well, we don't really need to talk about that. I mean, all right. So basically, we had Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae uh, leaving, having an interview. Um, both of them gloating about their wins and say Johnny basically said he had some some business still with Finn essentially and Candace said that she has uh, some business she needs to get to and they said they were gonna go light off some fireworks and it was kind of an awkward concept because I didn't know if Johnny was using that as a uh, innuendo or whatever but um whatever and then we had Damian Priest cut a promo on Cameron Grimes it's actually Priest sounded pretty good on this I'll give him this because he usually sounds monotone as fuck uh but. I thought this was actually a pretty good video package. And, uh, you know, now Cameron is going to go against them. He doesn't, he hasn't beaten them up beforehand. It's just going to be them head on head and whatnot. Um, we had uh, Drew McIntyre talk about both of them and, and thinking that Keith Lee is going to beat Adam Cole because he knows Adam Cole's weaknesses. McFoley uh, says that he thinks Adam Cole is going to win it uh, because he's lasted this long. And Shawn Michaels gave a lot of credit to Keith Lee, but. I mean, if you thought that Shawn Michaels, even in a fucking, even in this thing, is not going to say Adam Cole, you're fucking crazy. So obviously he said Adam Cole, he thought he was going to win. And uh, yeah, uh, they they said that next week we're going to be getting Io Shirai going against Tegan Knox. Had a pretty cool video package of Tegan kind of reacting to some of Io's stuff. And I, one of the things that she said, Chris, that I really liked on this was talking about how She's over this whole thing of, like, we know that you're the comeback person. Like, I want everyone to stop thinking about me me coming back from my fucking injury. Like, I'm a wrestler. I'm a fishing person. I'm going to be the Oshirai and get that title. And, uh, yeah, Cameron Grimes is going to be taking on Damian Priest. So these were all the little stuff before the main event, uh, peppered in before and after commercial breaks. Uh, what would you think about some of these packages? 
It's a good thing that Tegan Knox doesn't listen to this show because she would have her mind blown about me not thinking that she's a comeback character as much as a dirty heel. <laughs> the dirtiest move in the game. <laughs> <laughs> no, all, all jokes aside, I thought Tegan's promo was pretty good. Um, I, I don't know, Damian Priest, that, that's one of his better promos. I don't know that I necessarily care about that match. Uh, it should be pretty good, but to me, they've not built either of them that well outside of some vignettes and, and such. And uh, the build-up to the, the Keith Lee match with Mick and Sean and, uh, God, who else? Drew McIntyre. Yeah, Drew McIntyre, which Drew McIntyre also wanted everyone to know that he's also a Triple Crown champion now. <laughs> People seem to be. Like uh, someone else, like he, someone had notated this, like he's the first person to win, you know, an FCW. I can't remember who it was, but he, he had a, a shot at, I think, Seth Rollins on Twitter about being, he's like, well, I was an XT champion and an FCW champion and a WWE champion. Why are you guys not talking about me? So that was pretty funny earlier this week. But, um, don't fuck with yeah. William Wallace. <laughs> This was a this was a good build up to this match and and then once again as much as I give Morrow shit I thought his commentary during this match there was parts of it that was very much Morrow but they did a way better job of telling a story in a very good match that we're about to talk about I think I hit everything that happened before leading in um but yeah I mean obviously Shawn Michaels yes he's he I mean prototypical he's going to pick adam cole if, if this was oh, seth rollins you would uh, pick seth rollins so. <laughs> like <laughs> i mean you know uh, my goodness you look at him uh yeah and uh man how big is this breakdown because i can't remember every little thing but this had so many good fucking spots in it all right so i'll just read through this all right, so it starts off with Cole getting a side headlock on Lee. Lee bear hugs Cole and tries to power out of it, but Cole keeps blocking. Lee picks up Cole and places him on top ropes, but Cole evades again and keeps the headlock. Lee eventually breaks Cole's grip and gets in a wrist lock. Uh, Lee keeps the wrist lock in, wrenching away at Cole's wrist. Cole gets to the apron, but Lee pulls Cole back into the ring by his wrist. Lee picks up Cole with one hand and teases a powerbomb but sets Cole back down on his feet. Cole hits a forearm smash and forces a break. Cole tries to kick Lee, but Lee blocks the kick and takes him down with a shoulder tackle. Cole escapes to the outside of the ring. Lee runs at Cole and tries to pounce Cole into the plexiglass. That was one of the best parts. He's like, remember what happened to Johnny Gargano? Remember what happened to him? And then he takes off. Fucking Cole gets out of the way, smashes through it. Um, cool spot, but uh, yeah. Cole breaks the count, then hits Lee with a bicycle kick and a few right hands. He breaks the count again. I love how the referee was getting on his ass about it, then smashes Lee's face into the steel steps. Cole hits Lee with an uppercut, and both men roll back into the ring. So one thing I love about Adam Cole, he's, I mean, he's got a similar build. I was watching both matches, you know, with each other and shit like that, to like an Orange Cassidy. He's, he's probably a little bit taller and maybe a little bit bigger, but... I mean, he's not a fucking huge muscle guy, but what he does strategically and a lot of times with heel tactics, he breaks down the person, even the guy's size of Keith Lee, where it makes it believable. Like he's taking all these corners, going in and outside so he can keep on smacking them against things like the, the, the steps. I love that attention to detail that Adam Cole puts into it. I think he's 
very good at wrestling, man, or or the art of professional wrestling in, in ring performing. Um, it 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 definitely has shades of Seth Rollins and or Tyler Black and Ring of Honor and uh, God, uh, even to some extent what Sami Zayn was doing against Samoa Joe and some people when he was in NXT. Um, so yeah, he he's got a great mindset for what he does in the ring. Everything he does makes sense. Yep. Um, for his size against a larger opponent. Very Shawn Michaels. There you go. That's that's probably a better comparison. Well, you know, I mean, it makes sense. Um, he's a chip off the old block. Uh, Cole takes down with a swing and net breaker. Cole picks up Lee, then hits forearm smashes and another bicycle kick on Lee. Cole hits another neck breaker on Lee and covers him and doesn't even get a one count. <laughs> uh, I love Cole's facial expressions. Great facial expressions. Kind of reminds me of Edge, the way that he handles certain situations with his face. Uh, then Cole focuses attack on Lee's back, laying knees into it, then transitions into a head scissor hold on Lee's head. Lee tries to power out, but Cole hits Lee with punches to the face. Cole taunts Lee, but Lee grabs Cole's throat. Lee goes for a choke slam, but Cole breaks the grip and hits the neck breaker on Lee, pinning him for a two. Cole continues to taunt Lee. Cole tries to lower his knee pad. For the last shot, but Lee blocks the knee pad being lowered and gets a second win, laying out Adam Cole. Cole uh, hits his momentum with a pump-up kick, or a pump kick, I should say, but Lee hits Cole with a power slam, uh, pinning him for two. Lee runs at Cole, hitting him with a double chop to the chest. Lee goes in the middle turnbuckle, but Cole hits him and prevents him from getting to the top rope. Cole hits Lee with a backstabber, pinning Lee for two. Cole goes to the top rope, but Lee knocks him to the apron. Cole gets in the middle of rope and picks up Cole, hitting a superplex onto Cole from the apron. Lee pins Cole for two. That was an awesome spot, too, because he kept on, like, dropping him and having him further down, and finally he just goes back and fucking just nails that superplex. He's so strong. Cole hits Lee with an enziguri and runs ropes, uh, and Lee catches Cole and hits a spear bomb on Cole. Lee pins Cole but reaches the bottom rope uh, with his finger, stopping the pin. The finger thing, I don't like it when anyone else does that. That's like a little thing with me. Just fucking put your damn hand on it. Like, what the fuck? Is it, when is, Kevin is it just Owens me? Did it, when, when Kevin Owens did it the one time, it was awesome. And now it's like you see a lot of people doing it. Because Kevin Owens did it in the match against Jericho yep. when he was in the Lion Tamer. But he was way, I mean, it was like the very tip of his finger. This was like... Adam Cole hook was able to hook his whole finger around it basically. So it's like, you might as well just grab the damn thing. And also like if your hands under the rope, technically that's a break. So it's, it's more about the position you're put into to make it happen. But I did like, you know, I, I, obviously Adam Cole and Kevin Owens, have, Kevin Steen back in ring of honor, maybe it was a little shout out to Kevin Owens. So I didn't have a huge problem with it just for nostalgia purposes. You're probably right because I know that obviously they're good friends, but Adam even looks and says that Kevin helped him out a lot when he was younger and first starting in Ring of Honor. So they have a really good relationship. That would make sense if it was a little call-out. Um, Cole rolls to the outside of the ring. Lee starts the chase, but Cole hits Lee with an enziguri. He hit like 20 enziguris on him, man. Uh, Cole gets back in the ring and goes for another pump kick, but Lee evades and hits a pounce and chokeslams Cole, pinning for another two-count. Lee climbs to the middle rope and hits a moonsault onto fucking Cole, which was crazy, pitting him for two. Lee picks Cole up by the hair, picks Cole up with the Big Bang catastrophe, but Cole escapes and hits Lee with a super kick. Lee is still on his feet, 
but Cole hits another super kick. Cole takes out Lee's legs with a kick to each knee, then hits a last shot on Lee. Cole pins Lee, but Lee kicks out at two. I think, what, just Gargano, I think, is the only one who's, like, kicked out of that before? I might be wrong. Uh, Cole goes for another last shot, but Lee gets to his feet and hits Cole with the clothesline, turning him inside out. That's when he lands on his neck, and it was Cole who did it to himself, but the way that his body fell on his neck and the way he was, like, kind of favoring it, I hope he didn't hurt himself at all. But uh, Cole kicks at Lee's leg and hits Panama Sunrise on the Lee, pinning him for a two count. Cole gets to his feet and hits a series of super kicks to Lee's jaw. He, he fucking gave him four super kicks. If I was Shawn Michaels, I'd be like, all right, man, you know, like, can we, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> like one, two, three, four. And I mean, I guess Sean, I guess it comes to the point where, where Sean is the best person to ever do super kick. So that's why his were always that much more effective. Well, it's turning like that with the pump kick and the stunner as well. Like how many stunners have we seen in AEW as of late? So now it's just like, well, when Austin hits it or when Sean hits their finisher, it's a finisher. They're the best at it. Or the DDT, right? It's just one of those mystical moves at this point. We're just going to have to let it go. Because, I mean, later we're going to talk about a Canadian destroyer. I was about to say, man. (laughs) P.D. Williams, can everyone stop using my fucking move? I actually put that online, like on Twitter. Like, he... (laughs) We'll get into that later, but there's a move on AEW, a Canadian history on AEW that should have killed any man that's ever taken it. Uh, unless you have people perfectly placed where they have to be to catch you. Uh, very obviously. <laughs> Cole gets his feet and hits a series of super kicks, like I said, and sets up for the last shot. It hits it. Cole isn't done, though, and goes to the corner. See, that's where Cole might have fucked up, man. You probably should just tried it this time. He climbed to the middle rope and looks like he's going to try to go for another Panama Sunrise. When he goes for it, Lee catches Cole and hits him with the spirit bomb and then the Big Bang Catastrophe and pins Cole one, two, three. Keith Lee wins the match. Uh, loved it. Mia Yim comes out. You know, at one point, he has both. He's very emotional. He's got both belts. There's confetti, fireworks. And all of a sudden, you see Killer Cross. And Scarlett Bardot, they're in the production booth looking down and watching from there at Keith Lee. And Scarlett leaves, and all of a sudden, you know, it's another shot later on with Killer Cross, and it just shows his face, making weird faces and his eyes popping out of his fucking head. So obviously they're setting up that. Um, we'll go over all the what's going to happen with, you know, Killer Cross and, and him, and then also what's going to happen with Adam Cole after this. After what you... Or let me know what you think about this match, Chris. It was a hell of a fucking match. I mean, you nailed all all of my favorite spots. Uh, the the moonsault, the second the second rope moonsault that Keith Lee hit. It's just fucking incredible. I liked the finish a lot of this, where you get the last uh, the last shot, and then he's going for another Panama Panama uh, Sunrise, and Lee blocks it and just gives him both finishers, spirit bomb and big bit. He didn't fuck around. He's like, let's get it done. So I liked that, you know, Lee overcoming what we what we would think is is the odds in the, in this match of this guy that's basically been unbeatable. I mean, Adam Cole has been your Okada for NXT, right? So this was a huge win. Really nice to see him raise yep. both belts. The confetti running r- raining down. I mean, it, I kind of wish they would have thrown streamers or something 
just to give it the full New Japan feel, but it, it was a really nice moment that was really cool. Spoiled for me by some fucking tag team wrestler in NXT on Twitter. <laughs> I was like, what did he spoil? What is the major spoiler? Look this up. This guy literally posted the picture, the end of the show on his Instagram and Twitter accounts. And I'm pretty sure he's never going to wrestle again in NXT after that. Um, I don't have his name in front of me, but that's just not, <laughs> does not bode well since he spoiled that like Thursday of last week. Um, I did rewatch this match because I, knowing the finish the first time around, I was like, that's a little unfair. Um, so I rewatched this today before the show. And I also rewatched the eight man tag match because me and you kind of had different opinions on that. So I rewatched it again uh, for AEW. So we're, we're going to get into that. But I like the idea of Karrion Cross versus Keith Lee. I think it might be too soon is the only the only thing. Because Karrion Cross, in theory, has to lose the first one. Unless you're just getting Keith Lee the hell out of there. My thought on it. And I think this is we'll go into this and then we'll go into like what's going to happen with Adam Cole or the Undisputed Era in general uh, now that he lost this match. So you have Karrion Cross going after Keith Lee and you build to a match. I don't know why what stipulation you could put it, but what if what if Karrion Cross goes against Keith Lee just for the North American Championship and he takes that title away from him? Uh, he beats him, but it's not for the main title, but that's always looming over Keith Lee's head is that he's got a pin on him. So, of course, he feels like he needs to put it, you know, the title against him. Karrion loses the second one. That builds to a third match where finally Karrion takes the main title off of him. Well, I mean, you ruined this with Becky, right? Where she just defended both. So now you're going to put Keith Lee on the same pedestal, right? Yeah. I don't know. It, it's it's one of those weird things where like when you do this too often, now there's something set forth. Now what you could do is like I said, Keith Lee gets gets stripped of the title and Karrion Cross wins it. Right? And then now you have champion versus champion. To me that probably makes the most sense. I don't want them to rush to this match. I, I feel like you could flesh it out a little bit more. Um and and Cole, Adam Cole in, in theory I mean, hell, you could do this for the championship, right? And Adam Cole just win the son bitch right back. And then you have Karrion Cross and, and Keith Lee feuding over the North American title because in theory, a man that's held the belt for almost a full year should have a rematch clause. Now, whether that ends up being a three-man match or something, maybe that's your out. Where Cole just wins the thing again through fuckery, through these two people trying to kill each other. And this gets into what you could do with Adam Cole if you're not throwing up up to Maine. Um, you could involve a lot of people in that match, obviously with Undisputed Error and uh, Dexter Loomis. And there's a lot of things you could do in that match where Adam Cole could just win the championship back and you build a feud between Keith Lee and, and Karrion Cross that doesn't seem just forced. Yep. I am very, very excited to find out what's going to happen um, with the buildup of that. So either way, we're going to get a pretty damn good match now with Adam Cole. So yeah, there, there is a pretty damn good chance. I, I would not see why not. He doesn't get a title rematch. Obviously he's held it the longest out of anyone uh, over a year. So it makes sense that he would get a title, uh, you know, a, a, a rematch basically against Keith Lee. Uh, 
So if they do that, I'm going to assume, unless it's like that, that, that concept that you said in the three-way and then they just give it right back to Adam Cole, I really don't think that they would do that. Um, I think they would either keep it on Keith Lee or give it to Killer or yeah, give it to Karrion Cross, I guess, at that point. What I'm saying is, if Adam Cole is going to be going over to SmackDown, say, um, you know, I think a lot of people, understandably so, look at Adam, and even though obviously he is about the same size as Sean, a little bit leaner, um, you know, they think that that's going to be something that's Vince is not going to get over on the main roster. But the one thing I will say with with uh, Adam Cole, besides his mic skills and his wrestling skills to speak for themselves, he does have Shawn Michaels and Triple H promoting him. So do you think that Vince would give him a chance on the main roster? And I, I honestly think that he has a really good chance. I know a lot of people think don't think that the Undisputed Era could work. But if you brought them in like the Nexus or something on those lines where they just come in and beat the living fuck out of someone big and put a good showing, and you put Roderick in the IC title picture, you put Adam in the main title picture, and you put Red Dragon in the tag title picture against the New Day and, and the Usos and a lot of those other good tag teams, I actually think on SmackDown they could do some damage and do some good if they keep him as a unit. But maybe I'm wrong about that. A lot of people think that Adam Cole just by himself is the only thing that could really work on the main product. And a lot of people want him just to stay on NXT. But I just don't see what else that Adam Cole can fucking do in NXT at this point. Um, it's like even more so than Johnny and Tommaso. He's literally – he was the first NXT North American champion. He's had the tag, tag belts as well with his you know teammates. He's also had the fucking main title and had the longest reign with it. He is a really fucking great heel. Like, honestly, heels in the business, him and MJF, I think, are pretty much dead even as my two favorites when it comes to overall package. Great in-ring, great at acting like heel, great at fucking promos, like all that. So, Chris, do you think that Adam Cole, if he were to go to SmackDown or even Raw, do you think that he could make it as a singles act? Or do you think that... The undisputed era could make it as a as a uh, as a stable itself. I mean, I know that people are obsessed with the size because of Brock Lesnar and you know Baron Corbin being or not Baron Cor- well Baron Corbin to some extent and uh, Braun Strowman being kind of anchors in the heavyweight picture. But I would say keep in mind that Adam Cole and Seth Rollins are the exact same size. There's maybe like a one inch difference in height and. Uh, maybe a 10 it just muscle basically you know it, is, it's is not it's didn't not he like, beat correct me if i'm wrong i'm sorry for interrupting you didn't he beat daniel bryan and then beat seth rollins back to back during that survivor series buildup? i believe that was the case but it was through interference and that whole thing was not done very well that's more of the problem but mm. undisputed error the only problem is smackdown's a two-hour show Right. Who are they going to feud with? I mean, I guess you get Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak, right? You could do that. Um, and those would be some great matches. AJ Styles versus Adam Cole. The problem is they've anchored their heavyweight division around the fiend, this mystical character and Braun Strowman. And now you have to come up with a convincing way for any of these guys to get to the top. If they go to SmackDown, I would actually say going to Raw against Gal- uh, Galloway 
would make the most sense because they already have seen each other in NXT to some extent. Um, but you're going to get more interesting matches if they go to SmackDown, if they give us those matches, if they're going to give us Redragon versus, you know, the Usos or the New Day or, you know, against, you know, Gulick and, and Daniel Bryan or if they're going to give us those matches. But the, the real question or is... Or Roddy are, versus Daniel Bryan or, I mean... I just don't like people are like, ah, it's it just would never work. And I'm like, really? It wouldn't. I mean, if you presented a certain way, obviously it goes back to us not having faith in Vince. But I mean, <laughs> I just don't understand how they could fuck this up. If you just have them like if. All right. Say you, you, your scenario. Drew beats fucking Dolph Ziggler. He's pointing up his title. All of a sudden, fucking they jump the ring, start beating the living shit out of them. You put them on that type of platform that quickly, people will pay attention. You just got to back it up with good promos and good matches. Yeah, or you, or you just have to make him, you just have to make that group even more heel, right? Turn it to 11, make them really fucking mean, do dastardly shit. I mean, you're going to have to do something because we just had Baron beat Miz and John Morrison by himself for the title. That that, yeah. that is the problem, right? So yeah. how the fuck do you get the title belt off him? The only answer is AJ Styles, right? I mean, Pretty that's build is is AJ Styles or D Bry, I guess. It's I mean, I guess, but you had D Bryan lose two times or three times to Bray already. Yeah. So like, where the fuck do you, I mean, if they go to SmackDown, it's I don't know. It this this is what this is the problem with having these big guys in, the, in a world of small wrestling guys, and not putting those guys over bigger and doing fifty fifty booking. Maybe with Cole coming in because he had such a good streak, he could win a lot of matches and it'd be slightly believable. But the fucking what's the extreme rules main event is like the the Halloween Havoc match or whatever the hell the Monster Bash or <laughs> the fuck they're calling it with. <laughs> With Bray, which I'm hoping is just that Hell in a Cell match that Abyss used to have. Where like oh no, they're gonna have a swamp match, man. They're they're gonna be fighting in a fucking cinematic swamp match. <laughs> We're gonna get something you know, stupid. What do they call that shit on TNA? The Monsters Ball match. I was hoping it was yeah. one of those where they just hang like chainsaws and shit from the top of a Hell in a Cell. <laughs> you have to like, fight anyway. Abyss. <laughs> Wait, this chainsaw doesn't have a chain on it. Uh, <laughs> but, um. I, I think that's the I think that's the biggest the biggest obstacle they're gonna have because you know obviously you put him on the same roster as Galloway he needs the group either way he needs undisputed air I know that people are are saying that he's gonna do better without undisputed air but that's only if they're gonna push him as someone that can legitimately beat either of the big men that they have at the very top and keep in mind that Brock Lesnar is eventually coming back to this motherfucker with a vendetta oh yeah on Raw. Oh, yeah. Like, they're not done with that. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be surprised if Lesnar, this time in the Royal Rumble, doesn't lose and goes the entire way. I could see it happening too, man. And that shit know. was entertaining as fuck with, with him throwing mother. I, I know other people didn't like that Royal Rumble, but watching, like, Brock... I mean, finally get beat was great, but, like, watching Brock just completely dismantle the roster was fun for me. Hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. And here's the thing also, and you've kind of done this WWE, but do trades. 
Like, trade Adam Cole for someone. Try to make it as realistic as possible, like you're trying to do with Raw and SmackDown, but do that with NXT. So you can actually make it look like a viable, you know, brand that's on the same level, even though obviously we know that Vince pretty much thinks of it as just, you know, developmental. Um, But... Or, or you go the you go the Seth Rollins route, and if you're going to do trades, you want to do this, make authority figures. Put Sean as one of the guys and make him like buddy buddies with the Undisputed Era and give them some sort of advantage as heels where it would make sense where Adam Cole could be either The Fiend or Braun Strowman or, you know, Galloway. If you want to go that route, you could go that route. That's a good idea. I like that idea. All right, well, let's move on to AEW, uh, another jam-packed show. Uh, we started off with Kenny Omega and Hangman Page going against Private Party with Matt Hardy. Is that why they did that? So I'd say Private Party with Matt Hardy. I'm sure that's exactly why they fucking well, did that. <laughs> I mean, they did that because Guevara is suspended, so they didn't have anything for Matt to do. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's right. <sighs> that's right. Um, this was this was a good match. Um. I am not I, – it's it's not that I don't think that they're ridiculously talented or extremely acrobatic or athletic, but Private Party, a lot of times between selling and other things they do, I hate it when they do those high-pitched like screams when they get chopped. I think it's just dumb. There's a lot of stuff that they do that I'm just not the biggest fan, and I knew going into this because of how they've been built, they beat the fucking Young Bucks. And then they kind of just been on neutral ever since. So when they go against fucking the champions, I don't think they're going to fucking win. So I just don't have, like, that is taken already out of the match. We've talked about that before uh, on NXT, on Raw, SmackDown, and AEW with certain things where it's like, well, I mean, I know that they're going to fucking win. There's no way they're going to give the title to private party. Um, I hope they that, that you're absolutely right and they just have nothing for him to do. Maybe Matt's actually just kind of like sore and he's taking like a little bit of a, a break. Uh, I liked how he was kind of giving out, hey, do this. Like he told sent on, he was he was doing Hardy stuff like he was coaching them and giving them ideas to use basically Hardy Boys uh, spots and shit. It just didn't work a lot of the times. Um, and that last finisher, man, I love it. It looks so brutal between. Uh, the buckshot lariat and the uh, V trigger on the other side to the person. But uh, I, for the most part, like this match. Like I said, there's just some certain things that they're just green and they kind of, their reaction or whatever. It looks, or what they're doing looks too fucking sequenced. Um, it's not really believable. I, I They do that move where uh, one of them's on the outside and he pushes the other person back in and they did it with Adam Page in reverse something. And I just thought it was it looked really silly, to be honest with you. I just thought that really, when it comes down to it, even though I want everyone to get a chance and shit like that, I wish that we could have seen Kenny Omega and Adam Page against someone a little bit bigger, I guess, in Private Party. But then again, even though this is Fighter Fest, this is technically Dynamite. So it's not really that much. I, I shouldn't be thinking of it as like a big pay-per-view, I guess. Um, and also, when it comes down to it, the last couple episodes of being the elite, especially the last one has shown that Kenny keeps on going back to his cleaner ways. Like he found his broom and uh, they said online that 
you know, they noticed that he had, had bought extensions and he was wearing his aviator glasses in the morning. And I, I don't know if, if, if it's more of a joke or if that's the case, but one thing about them as a tag team, and I'll keep on saying it until the fucking cows go home, Adam Page and Kenny Omega should be in your singles division separately. Now, if you tell them a long story and they break up, and that's great. But at the same time, it's like momentum has been taken a bit away from, especially Kenny, because of this. And um, as much as I like seeing him in tag teams, I'd rather see a real tag team have those belts and have it with other tag teams and have these guys. It's kind of like how I feel about Pentagon as well. I think that Pentagon, like I love Phoenix, and I feel the same way about him to an extent, but Pentagon especially, to me, they're great as a fucking tag team, but he's a a very, very valuable singles performer. So, um, But going to this match, I liked it. It was a good tag match. There were a couple spots that I thought were a little bit too ridiculous, and um, I knew that Kenny and, and, and uh, Hangman were going to win. Uh, Chris, how did you feel about this match? I'm trying to remember which which member of private party just to me oversells, and it may be Cassidy, honestly, who just consistently oversells. Um, what I will say is Omega turned on his inner his inner Lance Storm this match, and just did a bunch of wrestling ass wrestling and didn't do a, a ton of spots which was a little, yeah. little bit weird, but he was just taking moves from everybody, basically. Um, I like that they ended it as a team this time. Omega and Paige were on the same, they were on the same level, and they got the win, and Omega made a couple saves, a couple big saves, right? Uh, so I like that. I liked that storytelling where they're not always almost about to kill each other. Like, this time they were on the same page, they got a win, there was no other storyline. They just won, that was it and then moved on with their lives. I thought this was a pretty good match. I have kind of the same feelings with you as private party. I don't know if they were quite ready for this. And I mean, they did beat LAX to get this match. So, but could you imagine if LAX was going against Kenny and Adam page? (laughs) It would have been a really, it would have been a really great fucking match, but I will say Private Party had a better match against Kenny and Adam than they had against LAX last week. That's a good point. Uh, I mean, if you look at that fucking headband spot, which I bitched about uh, <laughs> on the last review that we oh. did, uh, this was this was a pretty good match. I like the end of it. You know, Omega and Paige they blocked that gin and juice, and Omega it hit the B trigger, and then they hit the last call, and that was it. And they looked good as a tag team together, and I like the idea of. Maybe the build is that FTR and the spotlight is getting taken more and more away from Adam Page and Kenny Omega, even though they're undefeated. They're literally undefeated. And these two teams are going to end up feuding, and one of them is going to have to go against Adam Page and Kenny Omega. And for that team to lose after that feud to Adam Page and Kenny Omega, and then maybe that starts the descent after, I like that storyline. A lot. I know it doesn't do much for Kenny Omega or Adam Page as far as being top guys, but I don't think they know what the top of that roster looks like right now anyways. Uh, with Darby being out and Chris Jericho kind of in flux and Dean Moxley is coming back next week, but they're really pushing Brian Cage. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're like, I, what I would do is like you have this big blow off match between these two incredible tag teams of the Young Bucks and, and 
FTR. And then the end, the end goal is like, they're going to get a title shot from these people that are undefeated and they just get fucking squashed <laughs> because they've been so, they've been beating the shit out of each other for so long. And out of age and, and Kenny Omega are just like, yeah, but you still got to beat us. And if that maybe starts the descent of them becoming heels or splitting up or whatever, I think that's kind of the story to tell, which seems to be where they're going because they've outside of just the interaction with the beer and stuff that, you know, I'm thinking they're going to have, and we'll talk about that match later, but it seems like they're going to continuously have these guys rotating in and out with the young bucks and FTR to build up a feud at the next pay-per-view, which is in August. And I don't see them taking the title off page and Omega until after that. So that could be a way to go. It's very interesting. And they do continuously point out the fact that I think they're 11 and 0 right now in tag team competition, where if you look at FTR and uh, they just, I mean, they took a loss tonight later in the show. Yeah, it's a very, very good point. I don't know. The tag division is pretty hot. Uh, not going to lie in AEW. They got some of the best tag teams in the world. Um, and I'm really looking forward to uh, FTR and um, the Lucha Brothers next week. And we'll get into how Pentagon and um, and Dax were smacking the fuck out of each other um, later on <laughs> in that Jesus match. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like live rounds, man. They started punching each other pretty damn hard. It was pretty awesome. All right, so the next match I was not a fan of, I have to be honest with you, because... I love Joey Janela. I really do. And I like this new thing that he's doing with Sunny Kiss. I didn't know why the fuck they threw Lance Archer in this. And when it came down to the match itself with Lance Archer and Joey Janela, I thought Joey Janela got way too much offense in. I just, he got the better of Lance several times throughout that. And I just, I don't want him to get squished. I just wish that it was more, he was getting his ass kicked. 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 And then he gets a little bit into it. You know, he gets a little bit of a comeback. And it seemed like it was pretty even most of the fucking match. Um, he even went through a table at one point, which, honestly, I guess since since Joey set it up beforehand, it's like an announce table. But I thought that if you put someone through a table, you get fucking disqualified for that, unless you're in Japan, obviously. And that's different. Um, you know, you can just set that up and fucking put them right through it and shit. So that kind of confused me, but I don't know if this helped Lance Archer at all. Were they trying to sell that, though? Because that entire there was like an entire three-minute segment when all that shit's going on where Jake Roberts is freaking out at the ref with that bag. With the snake apparently in it? Which I don't think there was a snake in that bag at this point, but in theory, yes, the snake in that bag. Because there's like a three-minute segment where Jake is freaking out because he almost cost him the match and then he's yelling at the referee and the ref kind of goes over and then that table spot happens and they go directly to the finish. So maybe it just, maybe Jake was late or the ref came off too soon, but I think the idea was that he put him through the fucking table. But I I guess because the table was already set up, I, I have no idea. I agree with you. That's a little weird, but it's whatever. Joey Janela worked his ass off in this match. <laughs> and I like Joey a lot, man. I mean, Joey's a Joey's a fun character to uh, cheer on, especially since he's good at wrestling. He really is. Um, yeah, it just it just to me, 
Lance Archer has been put on neutral ever since he lost. And I don't think him, you know, having this, and especially since you're having it where Jason Snake's in the corner with him and going, what's the matter with you? Fucking beat him. Like, what are you doing? And that's kind of throughout the whole thing of it. And then Jake doesn't see that he's causing distraction to the ref that's helping both Joey and also, um, whatchamacallit, Sunny Kiss, do moves off the top ropes. Like I said, at least Lance knocked him through the table, brought him in, did his finisher, and that was it. But, uh, like I said, for, for being a strong monster, I think this makes the murder hawk look more like a murder chicken, to be a little bit, to be honest with you. Yeah, I agree with you to some extent. I mean, I don't think that Janela was getting... Obviously, the huge offense didn't mean shit towards the end of the match, right? Um, but Jake, I think Jake did a good job with whatever spot they came up with. He just sold it. It was like he wasn't really that involved or whatever, because when, when they hit the 450 splash, um, when when Sony Kiss hit the 450 splash, he was really pissed off. Like, he was irate at himself and seething kind of in the corner. Like, oh, my God, I almost cost this guy the match. So I appreciate that from Jake Stelling. But, uh, you know, it was a good match. It, like you said, I think Archer gave him a little bit too much offense, but it's a it's a time filler, right? They had to have yep. a match. And, and you know what? Janela does this to every person they have on the roster. It kind of takes them the limit no matter what, even though he doesn't get the win. Like, he did the same thing with Moxley. He did the same thing with Kenny Omega. He's done the same. It's like he's the guy that can never get over the hump, but he's always right there at the end. So if you look at it from the standpoint of like, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of wins, but he's always the guy that carries like a 15 minute match and almost wins. I guess it's not that much of an insult, but yeah, to me, murder Hawk, they put him on the back burner as soon as they brought in back Brian cage. Yep. I agree. So, I mean, he's just a, to me, he's a mid-level heel now because him and Brian cage fill the same role. You can't have, you can't have two destroyers. It was the same thing with Brody Lee. So now Brody Lee has to be a character. You, you can't have three mo- monsters on and you one got show. Wardlow they only, too. They have one show. At least with Wardlow, you can you can do the eventual turn with him and MJF. But like with Murderhawk, like he can't. I mean, I guess he could kill Jake the Snake Robert, but like where does that storyline go after that, right? So the guy is, you know, obviously the guy they're putting right there, front and foremost, is Brian Cage. There might be a reason for that, is what I'm assuming. But a lot of people don't think that's going to happen, too. But we'll, we'll we'll get into that right now, actually. We had Darby Allen um, cutting a promo about how his legs still hurt and that he's not forgotten about Brian Cage and the fact that he did this to him. And uh, he wants to practice the coffin drop. And then we zoom out and find out he's at uh, Travis Pastrana's fucking crazy-ass, um, you know, adrenaline junkie uh, Disneyland, whatever the hell. And Darby's <laughs> going to do the, the world's largest coffin drop, and he fucking just falls in this foam pit. So I don't exactly – I don't think Darby actually hurt himself. I think that was all just a spot in the match where he went off and he hit the ladder and whatnot. Um, but for whatever reason, he's been home for the last month. He hasn't had a match. He even said that. So I hope to see him back sometime soon. Um and that's going to be really interesting if he maybe causes Brian Cage to match, possibly, 
Or if Brian Cage wins, then he goes after Brian Cage, and he's the first person that feuds with them. It looks like they're putting him in that position, but I do miss Darby on Dynamite. You can tell that he hasn't been there for a month, and uh, he's a crazy motherfucker. I I wouldn't want to jump off that thing. I don't care if it's a foam pit at the bottom of it. I'm not jumping. What do you think, Chris? They don't do DQ finishes is the problem. I mean, my go-to would be that Darby Allen costs him the match, and it's a disqualification right he goes after taz and and all hell breaks loose and the the match is just a no finish or i guess you could do the tv time limit draw the the weird thing is is now you just strapped the title to brian cage right so if he loses does that mean that dean ambrose is the ftw champion it's adding the title made it weirder because now, like you know, if you call, if he cost him the match, Dean Ambrose beats him. Is Dean Ambrose the FTW champion? Does that count? Is he going to claim the FTW champion? And now you have a two-way feud. And also, where does this leave Moxley? Like you're shifting your attention from being the guy that wants to win a championship to Darby Allen, who, you know, isn't really in the title picture. I like the idea. I definitely think that he's going to be involved. He's going to make his return next week. I'm assuming, and he's going to be involved somehow in this, but I don't know what that does for Moxley and where that leaves him. I guess MJF. I'm not sure. That could definitely be it. Um, yeah, let's actually go over that whole entire thing. So we had Tony Schiavone in the ring, and he introduced Taz and Brian Cage for an announcement. By the way. This goes to Tony Khan for his um, tweet and the advertisement for huge ground-shaking announcement that Taz is going to make. And also for Chris Jericho later on for saying, and maybe he really believes this, but and I wa- rewatched the, the match with him in Orange Cassidy. I think it's good, but Jericho said it's one of the best matches he's had in the last 30 years. Don't Dixie Carter or Vince McMahon this shit. Like, just be straight up because... This wasn't an earth-shattering announcement. This was a cool concept, but to me, Taz coming out and saying that he was a bad motherfucker that had this title and and giving it to now who he considers the bad motherfucker with the FTW championship and ECW, I don't it it wasn't like an like an Ingram title. I forgot exactly the the. I'm, I'm sure Chris, you probably know more information. But it, it was never really associated with the brand, or it was like a temporary thing. I know that he held it, Sabu held it, Shane Douglas held it, um, but Taz was able to get the rights to this, so it didn't go to WWE once that was all, like, with all the other ECW shit. So this is a good title to him, but is this a title that is going to be defended? I mean, if that's the case, once again, why has Kenny Omega only defended the fucking AAA Mega Championship, their World Heavyweight title, one time on AEW Dark. Just just weird to me. Um, or is this going to be a prop like the Million Dollar Belt? Like it's just going to be something that he has, like Stone Cold had the Million Dollar Belt that gives a little prestige and a little bit of arm candy. Like you said, is this on the line next week or is this separate? Is it really going to fucking do anything for you if you got given a title by your manager and you lose against John Moxley. Oh, but don't worry, you got the fuck the world title. Like, so I just thought, based on the announcement, that this was going to be a huge, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal to me. 
to be honest with you. Yeah, and, and Meltzer pointed out that they're doing a similar story on Impact right now. Yeah, with the TNA title. With the TNA title, and also WWE is doing something with the fake USA title, which maybe they didn't know that was happening because it's previously recorded. But uh, either that or something leaked. It just seems weird they would do this and add an additional title right after adding a television title. I mean, the Fuck the World title, he didn't really defend that in ECW. It was kind of just a thing to give Taz a way to demolish people in front of his disciples. And then eventually they did give it to other people, like you said, Sandman and Sabu, but it wasn't like ever officially, as far as I know, ever officially a defended title until he was champion again, which we're talking like 1999 ECW, I want to say, just kind of towards the tail end, because I think they ended in what, 2000? Yes, I believe so. It's, yeah, I I don't know. I thought it was, one, it's kind of dumb because other companies are doing it. Specifically, you know, SmackDown is doing something similar with MVP. Um, and two, it's, uh, I, it, you put yourself in a weird spot considering he has a title match next week, unless he's going to win the thing. But all signs now after that vignette points to Darby Allen's going to fuck him out of this somehow. So Taz is going to be like, well, we didn't put the title on the line and he would have won if it wasn't for Darby Allen. So he's still the FTW champion. And what does FTW mean? And if you're going to strap that to someone, wouldn't it be Moxley anyways as being the craziest of all of them with the open challenge to anyone that wants to fight him in a death match? It's just a weird place to put it. Maybe done too soon. Like if they would have done this down the line, like he loses to Moxley because of Darby Allen or whatever. And then down the line, he destroys like 10 people and Taz is like, well, he can't get another title shot. So I'm going to give him this title. It makes a bit more sense. It's just weird that it's happening in kind of three different companies. And also he has an actual title match next week and he's had two squash matches and a, in a, a, a ladder match win. Yep. Uh, that's the next question. I mean, we're going to find out next week, but do they keep the belt on Moxley, who's held it for a while, beaten some big names? Or do they try someone different like Brian Cage and fight for the Fallen next week and put the title on Brian Cage and let him rock it for a while? And then he can be the double champion to Keith Lee's double champion. Huh? <laughs> sure. Double champion versus double champion. What are you going to do with Moxley after that? I don't know. I mean, who would be the perfect person to put him against right afterwards? I mean, to me, Um, the answer is they took the the belts off Jericho too soon. Probably. There's Jericho, which makes sense. There's also, I mean, since we were just talking about him, Lance Archer had a pretty damn good match with John Moxley where he beat him for the U.S. title. Or did he beat... I don't remember what happened, actually. I can't remember New Japan's lineage. Did he beat him originally, and then they... No. I think he beat Lance Archer, actually, and took the title back. That's actually what happened. But they've had a pass, basically. Lance Archer and... Well, it was... It wasn't Lance Archer. It was... uh, Juice. Juice Robinson. Well, yeah, but he... That's right. So, So they stripped him of the title. Juice and him went at it. He beat Juice for it. And then Juice 
on the first Wrestle Kingdom, lost to him, and then Moxley beat him. Right? Yeah, he went against Suzuki after. That's right. And that's right. And then Suzuki him. Gotcha. And, and All I right, don't so, know if he's still champion or not. I would have to look at the. He is. Right after that, we had COVID started, and we haven't really had any Moxley going to Japan since then. Yeah, they should probably strip him of it because I don't think he's going to be over there anytime soon. But um, either way, what I'm trying to say is Lance unless, Archer. And unless he gets, if he gets killed by Brian Cage, maybe he'll be there sooner rather than later. Well, that's what I'm saying. Him and Lance Archer could have a pretty damn good feud back and forth. They've had a fucking pretty wicked match beforehand, so maybe you just put them in a program against each other. Um and just have Brian Cage just build his ass up. Maybe have him go against Darby Allen, but Darby Allen loses, obviously. And then you have him go against some more credible people and just keep him on top for a minute. Like we like we said, kind of saute his ass, Goldberg his ass. One just win for a minute. I mean, I think that's perfect, especially with Taz as his manager. Maybe that's the eventual breakdown because Taz seemingly can't control this man based on what they've done with him and Moxley thus far. I like it. I think that's a good idea. All right, so we had the Young Bucks and FTR going against the Butcher, the Blade, and the Candlestick Maker. I'm just kidding. The Lucha Brothers. And uh, this was a fucking hard-hitting match. So I got a commercial break that breaks up these things, and we have a breakdown of everything. So we'll go from one half of the breakdown of the match, and then we'll talk about that, and then go over the other part. So we start this eight-man tag team match with Pentagon Jr., and Nick Jackson and Pentagon throws his glove at Dax Harwood. Nick tag, uh, tags in Dax because uh, Pentagon's obviously calling for his attention. And he locks up a Pentagon and takes a wrist lock. Pentagon breaks free and slaps him hard in the face. So Dax responds with a stiff forearm. They trade shots until Dax uh, drops him and hits a snap leg drop uh, before tagging Cash. And like like we were saying beforehand, man, these were live rounds. Pentagon is known <laughs> for being extremely stiff. Well, Dax is also known for being extremely stiff. So usually when wrestlers are cool with that, it's like, let's beat the living fuck out of each other. So they kind of breeze over them, trading shots, kicking each other and punching each other pretty fucking hard before Cash got uh, put in the match. Uh, Pentagon so, hit the loudest chop of 2020. Dude, it was <laughs> it was nasty. <laughs> Uh, he, he, it was a it was a welcome here motherfucker chop. <laughs> it, it's it was it really was it really was. Wheeler hits a flying knee off the middle rope and uh, stomps. Uh, then tags Dax. Uh, Pentagon jumps over Dax and slaps him in the chest. Then tags Phoenix. Dax reverses. And my phone just all right reverses an Irish rip, but gets drop kicked onto the middle rope. Hits an enziguri, then a double stomp and a springboard kick for a two count. Phoenix gets grounded by Dax, who then tags Cash for a snap power slam. Matt Jackson blind tags himself and holds Phoenix for Cash to hit with a running forearm. Phoenix avoids being thrown out of the ring and tags the Blade, who gets taken down right away. Nick tags in and then hits. Uh, hit drop Blade, then double drop kicks uh, the Butcher. Blade hits Nick, then Butcher hits a gut buster. Blade hits a gut buster and a power bomb for a near fall. Butcher and Pentagon team up to slap Nick and completely forget 
which of them is the legal man. That was the thing that I, I texted you. I was like, God, the butcher just fucked up a bit on that last one. Um, but uh, Phoenix tags <laughs> in. But Nick Jackson and him do a tandem springboard until Nick hits a Hurricane Rana off the top. Cash comes in and teams with Nick for a super kick snapdragon combo. Butcher and Blade uh, run in to clear out the baby faces. And then we go to commercial. A uh, lot of fucking hitting, man. I mean, Phoenix is a freak, dude. Phoenix is absolutely a fucking freak. Him and Nick Jackson. Like, those two guys, some of the stuff that they can do with their body is absolutely ridiculous. And we'll get to that next spot with the Super Hurricane Rana. Unless we already go over that? I don't think we did. No, but we haven't, we haven't gotten there yet. But before then, I don't know if we hit it, but there's, like, in the middle of the ring, there's an attempt for a sunset flip. And out of nowhere, Phoenix runs the ropes like he's fucking Spider-Man. Oh, my God. And punts that... a dude in the head out of nowhere and then does a suicide dive. <laughs> You're like, the fuck? Who is this man? <laughs> Dude, he's nuts. I think that was um I'm pretty sure what happened was that was when Matt and Nick were going for the Melter driver and then uh Phoenix runs across the rope, takes out Matt, and then it ends up going who else? Maybe it was something different. No, it was Dax had him, they were gonna do the uh spike pile driver and he did that to uh Cash, I believe. I don't know. We're about to find – I have the fucking breakdown right here. Why don't I just read the rest of this? It's after the commercial. This is where everything started getting really fucking crazy. All right, so back live, and the Blade has Cash in a headlock. Wheeler tries to fight up but hits a kitchen sink. Blade knocks Dax and Max off the apron, but Dax hits a back body drop and tags Nick Jackson. The Bucks come in and knock the Blade out of the ring, then drops both the Lucha Brothers, hits a standing slice bread to Pentagon, and body slam to Phoenix. Matt uh, heads up top and dives onto Butcher and Blade at the ringside, then goes back up top for an elbow drop on Phoenix for a two count. Matt and Dax come in and work together to uh, for a, a DDT to Blade. Butcher runs in and then hits stereo super kicks, but Phoenix then wipes them out. Uh, Cash and Nick run in and catch Phoenix with a Goodnight Express. Um, FTR. Uh, Want the spike pile driver, but Cash is pulled off the apron. Instead, Nick Jackson helps Dax with the pile driver, but Pentagon breaks the pin attempt. He fucking got it right in the nick of time. It was it was perfect. Dax puts Blade on the top rope, then Dax and Matt hit a superplex, followed by splashes from Nick and Cash. Phoenix breaks the pin attempt, and we're left with Matt and Pentagon. Matt gets tossed outside, and Nick hits an enziguri. Then leans over the ropes, but Phoenix hits a Canadian Destroyer off the fucking ropes to the outside. Back inside, Matt super kicks Dax by accident, allowing the Lucha Brothers to hit the driver for the win. Winners, a Busher Blade and the Lucha Bros Pentagon pinning. And then his facial expression of like, oh, oh, we beat them. Like, you know, just he's so fucking good. <laughs> so good as a character, man. He understands himself more so than a lot of people do in wrestling. Um thought this was an awesome match. thought it was a little bit chaotic at, at parts. It was hard to keep up with, which is part of AEW's charm, I guess, of who the fuck was the legal person in the damn ring. Um, but all in all, I thought it was a very entertaining match. Now, the Canadian story to the outside, a little bit fucking ridiculous, honestly. <laughs> Dude, it was but fucking I, awesome, though. Phoenix jumped off 
Pentagon's back hit was it Nick? Grabs yeah. Nick and just tosses him. Luckily only everyone him caught Nick. him because he, only he him almost Nick. missed him. <laughs> only him and Nick could pull that off and also pull off that super hurricane run off the top ropes, jumping on each rope like it's, fucking their trampe or tra- whatever, uh trapeze artists. Ridiculous, nice. man. But just the fact that like Penta's bent over, Phoenix jumps off his back, like Whisper in the Wind style. Catches this guy into a fucking like off catches Nick second rope on the outside into a Canadian destroyer and everyone's like oh my god we have to capture this guy or he will die <laughs> was definitely the highlight of the match they when they thought of that they should have been like we shouldn't do that <laughs> that seems like a sketchy idea I loved also them working together and doing each other's moves like with each tag team I thought that was actually really fun. But it's it's. Do you think it's weird that the FTR and and the Young Bucks lost? And if you don't think that's weird, the fact that Matt accidentally super kicked. He was going for Phoenix, I believe. Phoenix got out of the way. He hits Dax in the face, takes him out of the match, and then ends up losing and getting pinned. But afterwards, you know, they were still cool about it. When the fuck are we gonna see FTR? I mean, I know Tony Khan even said that they are they're marinating on this storyline. They have no like, want to get the Young Bucks and FTR in the ring yet. Like, they want to actually, like, really put the storyline. And that's fine. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, they're they're, they're really good heels. <laughs> so I'd like to see them fucking be pissed off and beat the shit out of them, like, you know, and, and get in a fight. But, you know, they were cool about it. They were like, they're like, it's fine, man. You guys lost, but they tarnished their own record. It's crazy. What'd you yeah, think? It's, it's, well, it's great for Pentagon and Phoenix because it rebuilds them, right? coming straight oh, out yeah. so now that both these teams have someone to feud with they both can get a win over pentagon and phoenix in theory or they could each cost each other a match and then it gives you something to do with adam uh adam page and uh kenny omega if pentagon and phoenix continue to win because of ftr and uh, <laughs> young bucks not trying to fuck each other but indirectly fucking each other like this was an honest mistake he felt bad about it they lost the match and everyone was just like well you know shit happens it's a weird four-way we're not fighting each other they kind of just accepted it and moved forward but it's not going to be like that the second time maybe they start pushing each other and then the third time they start getting at each other's throats um it's it's a slow build and we're talking about august for the next pay-per-view so August was is what all in. It's probably gonna be the the beginning of this or the the pinnacle of this feud. But in the meantime, you definitely have to have something interesting for Kenny Omega and Adam Page to do, which Pentagon and Phoenix are not bad choices for that. So maybe they're just the spoilers that continue this feud between these t- two two great tag teams. Um, and it also keeps your your tag team titles kind of out of the picture until it's necessary for whoever wins this feud. Uh, and then you do the feud down the line. Like you, that's your rubber band match. Is one of these tag teams eventually wins the title, and now you got your rubber band. So I liked the booking of this match a lot. Uh, it's great to see Pentagon and Phoenix back. There's nothing scarier than Pentagon run, riding in the back of a truck, just acting like a maniac. <laughs> On the way to the ring. <laughs> uh, he's, he's like the Joker, man. <laughs> and at the at the end, when he's winning and butchering the blade, they're kind of selling and limping out of the ring, and he's like, "Nope, zero fear." He's just doing it at the end. 
<laughs> like on the ramp. He's like, we won. Fuck y'all. <laughs> it was God, kind of, that shit never gets old to me. It's it's Sierra Miero throwing the fucking glove at the other person. All that shit's great. It's 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 almost like Austin's bird at this point when he does it. <laughs> Except he usually gets his ass kicked afterwards. Oh but yeah, well, Pentagon's a big uh, Austin fan from from what I've heard. So but this this the second time I watched this match, I appreciated it way more. Originally, this was not my favorite match on the on the show, but I think I, upon the second watch, it was my favorite match on the show. There was a lot to take in on this match, and if you're a stickler for the rules, this is probably not going to be your favorite match. If you're one of those people who's like, they're not using the tag ropes, even though they really tried hard to keep it, it it did fall out of sequence. But that's it. I mean, you got Pentagon and Phoenix in there. Shit's going to happen. They're jumping all over the place. <laughs> like, Phoenix is not necessarily ever in the ring. He's kind of just running around the top rope <laughs> at all points in time. So does he ever count as ever actually entering the match is a good question, I think. I, I love how Tony put him over, too. He's like, I've seen a lot of luchadors in the past, and he's definitely up there as one of the best. It's like, he really is, man. When it comes to him moving his body, holy fuck, Phoenix can do some crazy shit. I think he might be the best wrestler in, that was in the entire ring. There's there's a good argument for that, man, honestly. Or at least... Um, everyone in, artist. I mean, everyone that was in this match is... is fucking really good like very high level but phoenix there's something he just knows how to pull that spot out perfectly where it makes it like planning that kick when they're going for the Meltzer driver for instance just yeah. out of nowhere popping up on that rope or the, the super frankensteiner and the bucks are good are great as well but i mean we've seen ray phoenix in so many matches and he always comes out as looking like the star of the match um, and, and to me, he was the star of the match here. The, and, and I guess the follow-up to me would be uh, Dax Harwood was really fucking great in this match, too, for different reasons. But those were my two. If you, if you had to give MVPs for both teams, those would be my two MVPs. Yeah, I think I could definitely go for that, too, man. Um, probably followed by Nick and then oh, Pentagon. I, I fucking hate the name Dax Harwood, though. The, the more I have to say it, the more I hate it. It's terrible. I don't, I don't know where he got Dax from, but Harwood's his last name. I don't know where he got Dax. Like, the only Dax I know is Dax Shepard. And he's married to Kristen Bell, but he's kind of a douche. <laughs> it's just Dax is a wrestling name. It's, I don't know. He sounds like a, a Space Ghost character. Like, like, you know where Cash got it from, because his last name is Wheeler, but he was Dash, you know, so now he's Cash. That makes a little bit sense. But Dax? Like, where the fuck did you get Dax? His name's David. I, I just, you know, I have to give them shit because I give WWE superstars shit all the time about their names, and Dax Harwood is a terrible fucking wrestling gimmick name. Yeah, it's it's just so weird. It's like, his name was Scott, uh, obviously Scott Dawson. His name is David Harwood, Dax Harwood. What the fuck's a Dax for? Why didn't you just go by David Harwood? I guess way better. I mean, just like uh, Dash Wilder, he was Cash uh, Wheeler, and his last name is Wilder, so... Or Wilder, whatever the hell it is. I mean, their names were terrible in WWE as well, so it's not... I mean, FTR is a cool tag team name if you follow 
kind of that series a little bit. The, the Fuck the Revival was a cool tag team name, especially with what they're doing with the story line. Um, yeah. But their individual names is pretty bad, especially when you have, like, The Butcher and The Blade, which to me is still, like, a great tag team duo name. It's like Earthquake and, and uh, Typhoon, right? Like, I like that. You got Pentagon and Phoenix. That's cool. And then, like, on the other side, you got Matt and Nick Jackson. You're like, obviously, they're a tag team. They got the same last name. They're brothers. And then it's just, like, Dax Harwood and fucking Cash Wheeler. And I'm having problems trying to remember who's who and between their old fucking names and shit. Yeah, it's it's a little bit weird. Well, the balder one is Dax, and he's fucking good. Like, heads and shoulders better than his tag team partner, even though his tag team partner's not bad, not bad or anything. All right, well let's uh let's let's keep on going, man. Um, we'll just knock out the Big Swole stuff right now. The first part we have Big Swole showing up at the building, and Tony Schiavone very efficiently with security telling her she needs to go because she's been served by Bit Baker. So now Tony's doing her fucking dirty work, and it's like you need to leave, you need to leave, what, Tony. Was, you need to calm the fuck down. It wasn't Tony. It was uh Alex Marvez. No, I thought it was I thought it was Tony. At the at the door when she first showed up, when she's talking about like you guys could have sent me a fax, which but what the fuck, by the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, or they could call she, you or text message you. Yeah, she uh, shows up like three hours late, and Alex Marvez is like, "Here's your papers." And then Tony does get involved. Uh, it's after the next match when they. Either way, all of this big swole shit kind of sucked. And I know that like she's popping off very funny things, but they had like. Tony talking and Burt Baker and Rebby yelling over top of Swole's funny, I don't want to call it limericks, but like she was saying really funny shit, like I'll, I'll butter your, like she was saying like I'll butter your biscuits and shit, like she was saying weird ass funny shit, but you couldn't hear it because everybody was yelling over top of it. I don't know. That was pretty funny though. With the, <laughs> she she takes the papers and just throws them at Burt Baker, hits her in the nose, and Burt Baker acts like. Her fucking nose fell off. Like she's like, oh my god, my nose! And she put on on Twitter that terrible night I broke my nose. Like that, just fucking. She's great. The thing about it is, you're building this up for Big Swole. Britt Baker's gotta win. She has to once she comes back. <laughs> well, that and Baker is gonna be gone for like another t- two months or whatever. So, um, a- I think I think it's two more weeks it's supposed to be, and then she should be healed up by. Really? Because she she tore her ACL. I mean, I, I don't know. She did. She oh. didn't. She didn't tear her ACL. She she. That's what they thought originally, but it was actually mi- much more minor than that. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. That's good to know. So yep. yes. But yeah. But Britt's got to win. I think you're 100 percent right. I mean, yeah. You sorry. don't you don't build this up and then big swole wins. That would be really dumb. I don't know. They'll they'll figure it out. Those crazy kids. We had Nyla Rose, our, our past women's champion, come out. Uh, she went against Kenzie Page and um, Kyle or Kill is it Killian King? Sure. Uh, King actually, she had a good look for her. She was actually pretty imposing. I mean, it started off with her and Kenzie, and she just threw on Kenzie like a rag doll, and then Kenzie just like ran to the fucking uh, the tag thing and tagged her partner King, and they squared off a little bit, but it wasn't much for Nia. I mean, Nia just. She was throwing some punches at her, and I just act like nothing happened. And then she beat the living shit out of them. Uh, Powerbomb, a spear. 
she was moving really fucking well. Um, you know, I think that Nyla has definitely come a long way uh, as far as an entering wrestler. And then afterwards, she told us that her, her after beating both uh, ladies, she told us that her announcement was that she's going to have someone managing her now in the future. And so speculation was on rampant. I think the three biggest uh, speculated ones was Awesome Kong, which honestly, if she's a little bit injured still and she's also filming or on off filming with Glow, I don't know what's going on because of the filming and the pandemic, so maybe that's on halt altogether. Do you really want to see a monster manager with her? So I don't know if that would work out. The other two that kind of made sense, Dave Metzler said that Vicky Guerrero could be it. I don't know if you should put Vicky with Nyla. I don't know if that's a good fit. And then someone suggested, because Nyla's talked about how big of an influence uh, Alundra Blaze, a.k.a. Medusa, is to her. And she brought it up recently that one of her the first things that, you know, beforehand she was watching, you know, your Hulk Hogan's and, and your Ultimate Warriors and your Macho Man's and stuff like that. But what drew her to female wrestling was the Bull Nakano feud with Alundra Blaze in WWF. So she's a huge fan of uh, Medusa. So Medusa actually would be really interesting if they did get her. She's great on the fucking mic. She's someone that's that still comes off intimidating, but much like her Taz type of concept that could help Nyla out. I don't know if Vicky would be the best choice, and I really don't think Awesome Kong would be a smart choice either. Chris, who do you think is going to manage Nyla Rose, and how'd you like this match of her just destroying these two women? All right, let me. This is going to be a deep dive, kind of. But uh, what about Emi Sakura, who trained both Ryo and Hakura Shida as her manager? Where Nyla can still cut promos because I think she's pretty good on the mic, but now she has their trainer. Basically, the the woman that trained them on how to beat Nyla to some extent as a manager. What do you think about something like that as opposed to doing a monster or you could go the other route and you could have you could have a Tully expanding his brand, so to speak. Yeah, or an arm. he was. Hey, he's been he's been scouting FTR for the last three matches they've been in. So obviously he's trying to build something. But I like the idea of now you can also get those teacher versus student matches again with Emi Sakura bringing her back in because, you know, two of the, the people that the only two people that have really beat Nyla is Rio and Hakura Shida. And she trained both of them. So her coming in as a heel manager, if done right, I think would be fucking awesome. And it'd be something no one would expect, but I don't think it's going to be awesome Kong or anything. Um, it just doesn't make sense to have two monsters together. Like you said, uh, what about Tolly as a manager? I think would be fucking kind of neat. What about Dave's proposal of Vicky or um, me saying Medusa? Maybe. I think Medusa would be would be better um, than a lot better than Vicky Guerrero because what is Vicky Guerrero going to provide you as a manager? She has no pull in AEW. To me, to me, it'd be like. If you're going to do Vicky, you might as well do Brandy Rhodes as the manager. Yeah, I think that you could put Vicky with someone that would make more sense than Nyla. I love your idea of Amy Sakura. I, the only thing I would think of 
travel restrictions? Is she in Japan? Is she would she be able to come over to the U.S.? I mean, I would I would hope so at this point because I mean they're running live shows in Japan. I would think that you know if tested properly, maybe this has been in the works for a while, being that she announced it. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, she makes the most sense as far as AEW goes. Because, I, I mean, in, but, you know, maybe it's completely fine. Maybe she is Jake the Snake trainee or something, right? Who the hell knows? Like, Jake's building this, maybe Jake is building a monster faction with Murderhawk and, and the, the, uh, the, what is it, the Native Beast plus yep. Jake the Snake. Like, I don't think it necessarily has to be a female. I think that's where they're wanting, I mean, maybe leaning towards. But if I was going to do a female, I think that your natural built storyline is you could do Emi Sakura and Nyla. They beat Hikira Shida. They beat her to death. And then you have Rio show up and you have a tag match. And then whoever, you know, whoever's champion at that point, you do your final blow off or whatever. And, and you still get that teacher versus student, which one of my favorite matches in AEW in general, by the way, was Rio versus Emi Sakura. <laughs> so if we could redo some shit like that, that would be awesome. Maybe I'm just dreaming a little bit, but I also keep in mind that Kenny Omega has a lot to do with the female division. So if he's thinking about the current champion at all, I think Emi's name would probably come to mind. I like that idea. I do. I think that's... Uh... That's pretty smart. We'll have to find out. We're going to find out next week about it. All right. And then we see Colcabana. He's uh, getting a medical advice, and he has a massive bruise over his ribs. I don't know when the fuck this happened, but it looked painful. Uh, the <laughs> fine. So, of course, Mr. Brody comes in and says, I need, you to, I need you to get up, and I need you to get ready for our match. We have, like, you know... Very Vince-esque, actually. And uh, he called him Mr. Brody, which, you know, Tony uh, announced and, and noticed. Uh, but were you going to say something before we go into this match with Mr. Colcabana? Yeah, so it, Brian Alvarez came out and said that that was a shoot. That hematoma, that's not – that was legit. So however the fuck he got that, that was like – that actually happened to him, which makes it even gnarlier Jesus. that he wrestled. So that's like when they were showing his stomach like that. The reason it looked so realistic is whatever the hell happened to him last week. Uh, yeah, he was that fucked up going into this match, which is why I think this match was pretty short. He didn't do as much. Oh, Lord. That looks so painful. So we have this uh, tag team match with Dark Order and Cole Cabana going against SCU. And Stu Grayson attacking with Brody Lee and uh, which we call Cucuvana. So Cold at the beginning of it goes over to SCU, says hi. They kind of like, you know, they, I, I think it was like Christopher Daniels, like gave him a high five, but they all looked at him like, what the fuck are you doing with those guys? Um, and yeah, a lot of the matches head games with Brody Lee, uh, forcing Cucuvana to stay in the match, uh, tagging him in to go against people. But at the end of it, Stu Grayson hits the, uh, you know, after, and, you know, Daniels for his age, man. And even though I said that he looks pretty stiff, he still does a fucking moonsault better than most fucking people. Just incredible. All three of those guys, like, you know, all of SCU, all those guys are just super talented. But Daniels gets pinned by Grayson. No, no, no. That's right. 
Grayson was going to pin him, and then Brody Lee said, go tag in Cole Cabana, and gave Cole Cabana basically a sympathy pin. Uh, but pretty good tag match. I like the stories that it's it's kind of like adding. At one point, Cole Cabana broke up a, 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 a pin count, and Christopher Daniels is like, what are you doing? Like, you know, and, and Cole is like, I have to. Like, wh- what do you want me to do? Like, I'm on this team. But it was actually, like, more like he's getting he's getting out to this cult. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I This has been the first thing for the Dark Order in a long time with Brody Lee that I've actually liked and been intrigued of where they're going with this. So, uh, yeah. The winners, Dark Order, and Cole Cabana. How'd you like this uh, match, Chris? Cole Cabana is going to be great in this role if he does turn into the Dark Order, because I could almost see him think The Rock in Nation of Domination. I could see him being the one to rebuttal against Brody Lee and try to take over the spot as like the leader <laughs> and split off in this. Um, so I, I like this a lot. I thought the match itself was, it, what it, it was just, I mean, basically it was a video promo, right? Essentially it's just building up the storyline, yeah. but I like where they're going with it. So, uh, for, as far as that goes, I, it was pretty entertaining to me. And I think Cole Cabana is really good at playing these kind of goofy characters and to see him turn it on serious would also be pretty entertaining with what this group is like. If he turns against Evil Uno or, or some of these other characters, I think there could be a lot of fun to be had with that. I, I don't know why yeah. SCU is stuck with these cats when there's so much great tag team wrestling going on, though. Like, <laughs> uh, Well, they even said, uh, JR said, which is pretty interesting, that Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels are going to remain as a tag team going forward. If they don't do three on three, but Scorpio Sky is going to be going in the singles direction. So that was kind of fun to find out. I mean, that would be awesome. I think it's it's Scorpio's time. I think that, you know, Christopher Daniels and Kazarian could just work together as a tag team, much like the Hardys, until they decide they want to stop, right? They're, I mean, they're both great together, so nothing there. And uh, also, if you guys haven't listened to it, we have a, a interview with Christopher Daniels. Go check that out. It's an older episode, but uh, maybe I'll try to throw it up on the Geek Vibes Facebook page. Sounds good to me. All right, so we got our main event, man. Chris Jericho uh, going against Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy comes out first, and uh, he has the best friends with him, and nonchalantly basically tells the best friends he's got it. Go in the back. Well, Chris Jericho doesn't give a fuck about that type of concept. He comes out with Santana and Ortiz. (laughs) So, you know, I love Chris Jericho for stuff like this. All right, so I'll I'll, uh, go over the breakdown. The main event gets underway, and they come together in the middle of the ring. Cassidy puts his hands in his pockets, but then headbutts uh, Chris Jericho, ducks a few clotheslines, and hits a dropkick. Jericho rolls to the outside to regroup. Cassidy hits a suicide dive and punches Jericho around ringside. Back in the ring, Cassidy goes up top and hits a crossbody, then a tilt-a-whirl, but Jericho counters with into a lion tamer. Cassidy gets to the bottom rope, but Ortiz hits him with a sock. That was an awesome spot. He's got a loaded sock. He fucking just comes, smacks him in the head, just like, doot-doot-doot, goes around like, I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the cell with Santina and Ortiz hard looking at the camera like, what? It was 
It was pretty good. Shit. Good on the cameraman for capturing that. It was awesome. Jericho um, methodically beats OC, uh, Orange Cassidy and then mocks him. Jericho chops uh, Orange Cassidy, then whips him hard into the corner. Cassidy avoids Jericho and rolls him up for a two count, then hits an inside cradle for another two count. Cassidy attempts a Superman punch, but Jericho avoids it, and he crashes out of the ring. Jericho hits a baseball slide, and then we head to a commercial. Any um, statements on the first half of this match, Chris? They went completely WCW with the three quick cradles there from Orange Cassidy, which I absolutely loved. And then leading to the Superman punch, Orange Cassidy goes flying out to the railings, and then we go to the commercial. Pretty much. And and Jericho is doing all sorts of fucking moves to Orange Cassidy during this commercial break. He hits a back body drop at one point. <laughs> like it did not stop. And I suggest that if if you guys were kind of not paying attention during the commercial break, like go back and watch it because Jericho is doing moves I haven't seen him do in like years. <laughs> He's like hitting snap suplexes and back body drops and fucking Orange Cassidy selling the shit out of it. And they come back commercial break and that leads you into uh i guess the head scissors takeover from orange Cassidy. yep back live uh and y2j is breaking uh orange cassidy's back with submission over his knee cassidy rallies but jericho gets him into the abdominal stretch uh orange flies out but gets thrown on the apron and jericho knocks him off and into the barricade santana ortiz mock orange cassidy then jericho goes out and slams him into the barricade again. In the ring, Cassidy turns the tables uh, in the corner and hits a Hurricane Rana, then puts his hands in his pockets. Cassidy hits the tiny shin kicks, followed by an actual super kick for a near fall. Cassidy drops Jericho and goes up top for a splash for another near fall. Jericho dumps Cassidy onto the apron and hits a springboard, but Cassidy ducks and Jericho hits the floor. So he went for his, uh, whatchamacallit, his... Um, his lion salt and fucking just ate shit. Cassidy flips over the ropes onto Jericho, Santana, and Ortiz. Orange Cassidy gets Jericho inside and hits a diving DDT for a near fall. Cassidy attempts Superman punch, but Jericho gets him in the lion tamer. Orange Cassidy crawls to the ropes, but Jericho drags him back. Cassidy counters with an inside cradle for a near fall, then hits uh, right hand, and both men go down. Uh, they both sell. Santana throws orange juice in uh, Orange Cassidy's face. And Aubrey says, you know, starts giving him shit for it. Here comes the best friends to help. They start beating the living shit out of uh, Santana and Ortiz. Uh, Jericho hits Orange Cassidy with a bat while all the chaos is going on and Aubrey can't, you know, see it. And then hits the code breaker, but Cassidy kicks out. Jericho hits a back elbow and looks for a line tamer. But once again, nobody's home. It's a Mishinoku driver for a near fall. Both men trade shots as they climb uh, to their feet. Then Cassidy hits the Slumdog Millionaire, followed by a Tilt-A-Whirl DDT and gets another near fall. Cassidy hits or tries to go hit the Superman Punch, but Jericho hits the Judas Effect for the win. Chris Jericho. And, uh, yeah, that was the last match for Fighter Fest. Um, thought it was a good match. I was a little bit critical just because Jericho, I know that he can come off, especially if you go back to his past, he can come off like chicken shit heel. To me, there's no reason. And he's, he wasn't necessarily chicken shit, but he was getting his ass kicked after the match. He was like crying 
you know, from from after beating him and shit like that. I just thought it was a little bit much, a little bit overdramatic. I thought that Orange Cassidy at some points got a little bit too much offense on Y2J. Like, like especially those parts where he's giving the shin kicks and then backs up and does a super kick. And Chris Jericho was that out of it that he couldn't do a goddamn thing. Stuff like that kind of bothered me. But as far as building up Orange Cassidy, this was a really good match for that. And this really put him on a different... Um, put him on a different level, and Chris Jericho definitely helped him out for that. And I know that's Chris. I just wish you can still be giving and give him a lot, but just still fucking you're Chris Jericho. That's my whole thing. And uh, some of the times it wasn't. It was like he was just like you know it was dramatically overselling for someone that doesn't look very feasible in being able to take you out. So maybe they could have figured out better ways for it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a stickler, Chris. What did you think about this match? I thought this match was fucking awesome. And originally, before I rewatched that tag match, it was my favorite match off both shows. And uh, uh, the reason I say this is the storyline of Orange Cassidy is this kind of doesn't give a fuck dude. And he turns it up to 11 during this match. And he had to overcome Tito and Santana multiple times just to stay alive in the match. And the Superman punch in this match is very Roman Reigns. It is that next level. He has become kind of superhuman. I mean, the guy takes a baseball bat shot and kicks out. Like they're they're showing you that this guy can survive, that he is he could be that guy, right? Um I love the finish of this match where Jericho hits like the back elbow trying to lead to the Judas effect and then he picks up Cassidy to give him a suplex or you hit the Mikinokuju driver. They come out of that. They're punching the shit out of each other in the middle of the ring. Jericho wraps him to hit the suplex. That's when you get that stun dog millionaire, and the tornado, tornado DDT. And they didn't do a ton of near falls in this match outside of the what I would like to call your WCW Lucha pin sequence, which I thought was fucking awesome. Um, you hit that giant stunner, and he doesn't get the pin on Jericho. It's just not enough. And then at the very end, he goes for the Superman punch once again, and Jericho just catches him with a Judas effect, kind of nonchalantly, and gets the win. And Jericho is, like, beside himself because, and I think the emotion of Jericho is that he should not have had this match with this guy. This He should have been able to embarrass this dude. The fact that Orange Cassidy is so under his skin is the story of the match. Like, why is this guy that means nothing to me able to bother me as much as he as he has been. And that's the story they've been telling. So the story of the match to me was that, and that orange Cassidy overcame a lot of odds. And even though he wasn't able to win, it was that damn close multiple times. So it was a great storyline for orange Cassidy. Chris Jericho saying this is one of his best matches. He said in like, he said one of the best matches I've had in 30 years, I will say it's one of the best matches Jericho's had in the past five to 10 years. It was a damn good match, especially for a TV match. It went over two minutes, which I don't know if you noticed, but on the television broadcast, it went over two or three minutes. Uh, I don't know why that happened or how that worked out. So I don't think we got the celebration we necessarily would have saw from Jericho uh, in the same extent. I think he would have been celebrating even harder with a little bit more time given. But I really liked this match a lot. I didn't have as much problem with Jericho selling because Jericho, leading into this match, had lost a lot. So... It's not like Jericho has been going over um, on people, and they've been definitely playing up Jericho's comedy leading into this, and 
I think at the end of the day, you know, he did crack this dude with a baseball bat. He wasn't being a super silly heel. He he was being kind of an asshole. And Cassidy just happened to be better at a lot of points during the match and sold his ass off. Worked the, I mean, to me, Orange Cassidy fucking proved that. And we, I kind of, we both already knew this, but this was the match where he proved like this is where you can take this character if done properly. And I look forward to seeing what he can do with, with someone that's not Jericho if put in the same situation. Jer- I mean, to me, this is Jericho's best match maybe since Tanahashi. And I might even say this was better than his Tanahashi match. So take that for what it was. I think that's why it made it one of my favorite matches. And, and just to see Jericho so enthused and doing so much shit I haven't seen him do, like back body drops and uh, multiple cradle pin attempts. Like it's like 96 WCW for me with the with the nostalgia added this was one of my favorite matches of the night and i didn't really think that for the scenario and what they were trying to say i didn't think jericho was like overselling too much but i could see that argument well that's how i felt about it and i still think it was a very entertaining match but yeah that's uh just my honesty Um, i'm glad that you definitely enjoy the match a lot and I'm glad this helps out uh, Orange Cassidy. Um, I'm just saying, in general, Chris doesn't need to be as giving as sometimes as he is. And he's kind of, and you're right, he's been like that a bunch lately. He has been on a losing streak, but he is also their biggest name probably to have in the company. So, um, but I am glad that Orange Cassidy got put on a, a different level. I think that when we saw his match against Pac, we saw his potential. And this definitely brought him up and put him in a uh, a very good spotlight. So I will uh, to follow this up real quick is what do you do with Jericho after this? Are you going to give him because because he pulled the Apollo Creed even on Twitter. He said there ain't going to be no rematch. So he's selling it like Apollo Creed Rocky one where he knew how close he was to getting beat. Now, if he comes out and Jericho does some crazy character that me and you aren't thinking of, where I'm too old for this shit, or this guy took me to the limit and he just has my number for some reason, that's interesting. But where does that throw the rest of your roster? Because, I mean, we're definitely getting a tag team match between the best friends and, you know, uh, pride and powerful, right? Yeah, I would think so. I don't know. I really don't know what uh, what's next for Jericho. Um, part of me thinks, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this. We never really got the big, built-up Chris Jericho and Matt Hardy match. Um, it seemed like Sammy kind of took over the, the position to go directly against Matt Hardy, and then they had the giant uh, stadium stampede match. Uh, but individually, those two, they kind of locked horns at the beginning of it, and then it, it became the elite with Matt Hardy versus all of Inner Circle. So to me, you could go back to that. I mean, they're two of the bigger names that you have in the company, two of the older vets, and let them have an actual head-to-head feud, especially if we're not going to have Sammy for a good while. That could even be a reason to bring Sammy back in is because his mentor – is fighting Matt Hardy, and then they kick the shit out of him or something like that. 
yeah. I mean, it just seems the way that they ended, you're going back to Orange Cassidy. But yeah, Jer- I mean, it's it's weird because Jericho split to the Orange Cassidy thing. And I think the idea was Matt Hardy was going to split to Sammy Guevara to try to put over two young superstars. That's almost It's almost like they were going to do the same thing. <laughs> and then unfortunately, but the certain things happen. happened. Yeah, like, but that's kind of what it seemed like. And then maybe that would have. You know, if they went that route and Sammy beat Matt and, you know, Orange Cassidy beat Jericho, then they could have been the, the two proud dads or whatever and put them against each other. <laughs> like maybe that was the storyline they were going for. But Jericho's like he's kind of, you know, he was the champion. He's in a really weird spot right now. I think that he's there to put guys over. He's got to be very careful with I, I think you have to be very careful with the inner circle right now in general, unless you're going to break them up. Because they've taken a lot of losses uh, outside of Jericho, obviously getting this win. But uh, I mean, last week LAX lost, and uh, Jake lost. Swagger, yeah, he kind of lost. They didn't do a good a, jo- a good enough of job selling that they could have done the finish better, which we talked about. But yeah, why doesn't after this Jericho turns it up instead of fucking being silly, turns off the silly. And re reevaluates everything about you know like we're talking about, and kind of goes a bit more aggressive towards whatever's next, basically. I think he took. I think he could totally do that, and I think he could come back to the Orange Cassidy stuff. Is like maybe Orange Cassidy just has his number, much like you know Becky Lynch versus Oscar, uh, as silly as some that that can be. Um, or like I said, Apollo Creed, like kind of what he what he hinted at was he ain't going to be no rematch from the first Rocky. But then he wants the rematch because he's that cocky. And if that's what they're trying to do, I mean, I think that makes, to me makes a lot of sense. But yes, a super serious Jericho. If he goes back to the New Japan Jericho and he's just trying to fuck people up. Now you have some inter- interesting things with Cody. I think would be the next opponent, right? Yep. Go back to that, man. I don't know, but that's what I love about it is AEW has a lot of different places they can go. Um, or you can bring in a new baby face. Maybe Mr. Uh, Zack Ryder could be making his debut sometime soon. I don't know. It's, uh, it's crazy. But um, I think that is another wonderful episode of wrestling geeks alliance uh thank you guys all you know all of you guys out there that are listening all of our new listeners uh you can find us on pretty much any type of downloadable platform whether you look on spotify youtube itunes stitcher um soundcloud just search wrestling geeks alliance uh you'll find our shows their posts usually we record on thursdays and saturdays we usually post the stuff up the next day from when we recorded it and then you guys can find it out there uh for all of our past listeners thank you guys so much for listening to us we appreciate it and keep on commenting liking us on youtube anything that you guys can do share it with your friends if you like our commentary you know share it around and let other people know we'd really appreciate that but uh i'll let uh christopher say goodbye to everyone uh chris say goodbye to all the wonderful fans out there 
Hey, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. It's it's always a pleasure coming on here and talking about wrestling. And uh, for the people that listen, I really do appreciate it. Uh, there's a new episode of Skate Throats. It's coming out this weekend. It's our first episode back. We're leading into the seri- uh, the season in July 30th. So if you're a hockey fan, check out at Skate Throats. We're going to talk about the draft, new coaching hires, some trades, and what the playoffs are going to look like. And, uh, and, and like Dane said, we'll be back here recording Saturday, probably posted up sunday sunday late sunday hopefully um and yeah that thanks so much as always if you want to talk to me on twitter you can be at chris r Patton, and uh yeah everybody have a great rest of the week and you can find me at dane alps 42 on twitter or dane alps on facebook message me or you can go to geek Fives nation on facebook join the group start a conversation be a part of geek Fives nation thank you guys so much for listening We'll be talking to you on Saturday. Well, technically, whenever you listen to the Saturday recording. But that'll be the next time you'll hear on Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Have a wonderful evening. Peace out.